get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Heathfield drills one to right. This is deep. Back near the wall is New Bar, and it's gone. Luis Renjifo knocks a three-run homer. And Neto drives one to left center for a base hit. Dice scores. Renjifo's on his way home. It's a 10 spot for the Angels in the first three innings. An eight-run lead, and the Cardinal fans have had it here at Bush Stadium. Playing 162 on a 60-game season. For a 60-game season, yeah, you can friggin' hit the big red panic button or not as one year in COVID year you know, play 162 for a reason I don't play 162 one game season so frustrated whatever it is whatever you want to call it like yeah we've been, we've been bad and keep showing up keep putting in the work and trust that the process of it's going to take care of itself Alongside Alex Ferrario, who is back today for Hello. one final day this week. I'm Brandon Kiley, T- Tanner Hendrickson, Whoa. along for the ride today as well. It's good to have you guys with us. We'll be with you until 2 o'clock. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. That audio, courtesy of the Angels, of course, TV network. And then you heard Jack Flaherty as the Cardinals are struggling. They have dropped to 12 games below 500, Alex, for the first time since the 1999 season. Oh, that season sucked. The team's worst previous start through tw- uh, 32 games since 1907 oh my God. were a 9-23 start in 1973 and then 10-22 in 1919. What were you guys up to back then? Uh, you know, just discovering the ice cream cone. <laughs> And 9-23 and in 1907. Wow. Long story short, we are looking up a whole lot of history right now, ladies and gentlemen, because this is awful. So last night I gave myself a homework assignment. Who are some of the teams that have been this bad at this point in the season? You were absolutely that kid in school that gave yourself homework assignments, weren't you? (laughs) Absolutely. More homework. More homework. We're basically 20% of the way through the season now. Teams that also lost 20 of their first 32 games. So at the 20% mark, lost 20 of their first 32. That went on to make the playoffs that year. All right, optimism. Let's hear it. This is since 1990. The sample size is 133 teams since 1990. That started the year losing 20 of their first 32 games. Of those 133 teams... Three went on to make the postseason. So you're saying there's a chance. In fact, I went a step further. Teams that lost the same number of games or more than the Cardinals in the first 32 games of the season that went on to simply finish above 500, Alex, which doesn't seem like a great feat, going (laughs) 82 and 80 or better. Nine. Nine out of 133 teams. 
hold on. I'm trying to do math, and it's so bad that I, I don't like even. seven percent or something yeah, like that. That, that f- was to finish above 500. The first one, three out of 133, is like 2.2 percent. Yeah. So like we are, we're talking magic right now. All right. Now let me give you the rotations for the teams that were in that three-team sample size that you're talking about that made the playoffs after starting as badly as the Cardinals. Okay, they've got to be pretty comparable to the Cardinals' rotation. <sighs> The Houston Astros did this back in 2005. We don't have to talk about how they ended up getting into the playoffs. We don't have to talk about when they got there. What happened? Roy Oswalt, Andy Pettit, Roger Clemens. Oh, okay. Yeah, we had all three of those guys. All I heard was you, when you said those names was Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery, Miles Michaelis. Yeah, basically the same. Yeah. The Oakland A's, there was a movie that was made about this team. Oh, oh man. Hudson, Mulder, and Zito were at the front end of that rotation. Here they come. And then, I believe this was the 2014 Pirates. Addison Volquez, Francisco Liriano, Charlie Morton, Garrett Cole. Those were the front four in their rotation. All right, throw Steven Matson, and you just essentially said the Cardinals rotation. Alex, when I say all of that, when I looked that up last night, my takeaway was this. Is it time to pronounce the 2023 Cardinals dead? Your first reaction was, oh, man, the Cardinals are bleeped. (laughs) Basically. Are you looking at the same thing I'm looking at right now? I've been the optimistic one here. And, man, it's hard for me to look at those three rotations for the teams that ended up starting out slow and still made the postseason and say, oh, there's a path here for the Cardinals. Well, and it's not even like, yeah, when you talk about those rotations, I would say pretty much declare it dead because there's no way you're Oswald Pettit or Clemens or Hudson Mulder or Zito or what the Pirates had. But it's the first part of it. Three out of 133 teams that started this way made the playoffs. And that was like from the 1990s until now. Think of the changes in the schedule and the teams and the divisions. Like, look at what it is this season for the Cardinals, where the Pirates have been surprising for a lot of people. You've got the Brewers. You've got the Cubs. I'm not going to bring up the Reds here, but then you talk about the change in schedule and how you're playing more teams than you typically would. So, yeah, I mean, look, I was skeptical back in that Pittsburgh Pirates series. Once they wrapped that one up, I'm thinking, oh, this isn't going to be a pretty season, but that was still what? Two and a half weeks into the season. I mean, Wilson Contreras said it yesterday, like it's, it's bleep in May. You can't keep saying it's early. It's May. And you're inching even closer to that 40 game number that we talked with uh, Jim Leland about when you're talking about the schedule and who you know your team is by then. Now you put those numbers into perspective. I don't know how you could feel the way you felt on Wednesday that said, man, we're going to be looking back at the end of the season and say, hey, remember how much fun we had when this team was bad? I think it's time to cue the music, BK. Oh, is it time? I think it's time to cue the music. Cue the Bolton. We should have had me. Bolton probably does oh, fit us a little bit Damn better. <laughs> Is that what we're going with? We have so many sad songs on this show. <laughs> and most of them were Alex's yeah, teenage breakup songs. <laughs> All of them I'd listen into the car sobbing because a girl left me. Well... If you watch the Cardinals, it's essentially it's a break. It's kind of the same feeling. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, all right. Let's keep You love them so much. Oh, man. And they just don't love you the same way, man. Yeah, BK did go through a breakup with O'Neal yesterday. That's, oh, did yesterday was? Yeah, it's kind of awkward. It's been kind of one of those things where you can tell he's not sincere in the relationship yeah. for a while, but I keep trying to make it work. BK, uh, hold on. This is the best. Oh, you skipped it. It's fine. This, this is the climax. Well, this is where we all realized it's over. We're at the end of the road. Everyone's singing in your car. You're feeling it. Give it to me, Alex. The road 
Yeah. You feel like it's ready? I, I mean, the rotation. It's so hard for me to give you any reason to believe. Any reason whatsoever. Yeah. What are the What are the Blues NHL draft odds to two? No, three point five percent chance. So Doesn't matter. Better, uh, the Blues have a better chance based on these odds that I just gave you uh-huh. to get Connor Bedard in the yeah. NHL draft lottery yeah. than the St. Louis Cardinals current Ludu based on their start to make the postseason. Not to win the division, not to go to the NLCS, to make the postseason. By the way, two of the three teams that I mentioned made it to the wild card and lost in the wild card round. Oh, so only one team actually got past the wild card. And to be fair, they made the World Series. <laughs> so, Is that hey. the movie team? <laughs> no, that was the, uh, that was the, the Astros. Astros. That's right. Okay. Yeah. You may remember that oh, series yeah. against the Cardinals. I do remember that To get series. there. I remember them getting swept the by again. the White Sox. That's what I remember. Them getting swept in the World Series, so... Yeah, they're they're there's, done. There's, this, this is a turked uh, cardinal bird in the oven right now, boys. E- this is over. Even the T-bone three can't find no, one thing that no, this team yeah. is good at right now. No, no, that's not true. Our bullpen's pretty and good. And now you're see the problem for me with this team is now you're at the point where it's breaking in the clubhouse. Like prior to all of this, it was breaking outside. It was breaking from the fans. It was like, yes, this team has no talent to get it done. They're not going to be able to compete. Now you've got guys pointing fingers at each other in the clubhouse. And when that happens, yeah, sign, seal, delivered. Stevie Wonder, they're not yours. Well, maybe the top five pick in the draft might be yours. We'll have to look up the way that the draft lottery works in, in Major it. League Baseball because I'll be honest with you, still haven't gotten there. Haven't had to worry about I've it. gotten close. I've gotten close to hitting that button and doing all the research on my laptop at home at night. Not yet. This weekend, if they, More if they get swept this weekend, I'll be damned Monday. We are opening with the Major League Baseball draft you know, lottery. You know the part that stinks about it, though, thinking about the MLB draft, is like as excited as you can be of like, wow, this is the top prospect. That's for this year's draft. I have no idea who the top prospect ah, is damn. for next year. The top six picks are randomly selected in a lottery, so it doesn't even matter. Well, I'm sure there's odds, right? Three teams with the worst record have their odds set at 16.5%. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> We're going to be in that top three. Man, even like the worst team in the NHL has got a 25% chance of getting the top pick. MLB says blank, you guys. Sad. I just don't even know what to do with this team anymore. Like the rotation stinks. The lineup isn't very good. Trade them all. At least we're going to see some moves today. And we're going to talk about that coming up on the other side. Right. Alex Rario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. I'm pretty confident this time around. Like Taylor I thought Monday, getting an extension? Maybe on Monday they would have done this. I think they certainly should have looking back on that but today there's no reason not to I think in fact there's every reason to make some moves today we'll discuss what that could look like and the Taylor Motter at bat yesterday that is not the reason why the Cardinals lost but I think it was pretty symbolic of some of the worst things that have taken place with this team lately we'll talk about all of that coming up next year on 101 ESPN we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Get Motter, some at-bats were down six at that point. I spoke with them right after Gorman said he couldn't go. Down six, get him in a game. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest as Ollie Marmel explained why he decided to go with Taylor Motter down 11 to 7 in the bottom of the sixth inning. Now, there's a lot of context that needs to be had here. 
Taylor Motter entered the game for Nolan Gorman, who at the time we did not know this, but later it was explained. Nolan Gorman came down with some back tightness. We don't know if he's going to be available today. It doesn't sound super serious, but his back was tight. They decided to get him out of the game, make sure that he was going to be okay. Probably from carrying this team. <laughs> well, well played, sir. So the decision there is basically, do you go with Taylor Motter or do you go with Paul DeYoung? Now at the time, there was a lefty in the game. And so I I guess you could argue Paul DeYoung against a lefty is not a a great matchup for you. Now, I would also argue neither is Taylor Motter, (laughs) but his explanation there is basically, hey, they made that decision in the top of the sixth inning and then they just let it ride in the bottom of the six because at the top of the six, they were down 11 to five bottom of the six. You end up scratching across a couple of runs there. And when Taylor Motter came into the game, you had a runner on second. So you got a runner in scoring position with two outs. And if he's able to get on base, man, you're into the heart of this order now. You're back into Nolan Arenado coming up, Wilson Contreras coming up. And while I don't think they were going to win that game either way, you at least have a more interesting finish to the game because you also had Taylor Motter coming up or that spot in the lineup coming up in the ninth inning as well. you got three more innings to play with, man. That game was not completely over if you're able to get it a little bit closer. The reason I bring this up and the reason why I think it matters, you didn't lose the game because of that. You lost the game because Jack Flaherty was terrible yesterday. But these little decisions, and I'm not blaming everything on Ollie Marmel, but that is a decision that Ollie Marmel decided to make that I think did not help them win the game. In fact, it hurt their chances to win the game when he made it there. Taylor Motter is not a major league caliber hitter. He's not. And I think Taylor Motter would even tell you that, like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm not here for that. It's not my role. I'm here to provide a little energy, be a good teammate, and go catch the pitcher between innings. What a role. Paul DeYoung has that. basically become your starting shortstop since his return from AAA. He started almost every game so far since his return from AAA at shortstop. And yet... They decided not to go with him in that spot in the game. Alex, it didn't make sense to me then. And honestly, Ollie Marmel's explanation did nothing to make me feel better about the choice. Honestly, it got me more frustrated. Hearing his response of, well, we needed to get him at bats. No, the, uh, you don't need to get him at bats right now. Why? Because you want to see what his potential is for this team the rest of the season. No, you know who you want to see get at bats in that spot? Jordan Walker. But you decided to send Jordan Walker down so that you could bring Taylor Motter back Juan up. Yepes, or Juan Yepes. Who is Hell, bafflingly still not on the scene. Luke and Baker would have been great to see what he can do in that spot. Second and triple in home runs. But in no way, shape, or form should I hear the manager of the team say, well, we needed to get him some at-bats. No, this isn't the first week of hockey season where you got to get him some reps. He's on the bench. He's a 26th man. He's the guy in extra innings. If for some odd reason you're going deep and you have nobody else, that's when Taylor Motter comes into this game. We so, all thought he was going to be the guy that ended up pitching in the ninth inning of that game, honestly. Frankly, I would have rather seen them just call the game early rather than put Taylor Motter into pitching that I'm one. Saying. I'm with T-Bone on that. But that was my bigger issue when I heard him say it at the end of it. Because right now, we're trying to make guys happy. Got to get them at bats. No, you don't. You need to win the game. You need to put yourself within striking distance of that game because the Cardinals were doing the Mike Schilt uh, pr- uh, poster child of the game. It was scratching and clawing your way back into that game. What were you, three runs away? And then you go to Taylor Motter. Like that was essentially him waving the white flag, saying this one's over. Yeah, the the decision was baffling to go to Motter over to Young. And, and look, I'm not even questioning pinch hitting for Gorman. Even if Gorman was healthy, I think they probably would have done it because. They just don't trust him against lefties. That's been a clear theme of the season. But 
if you're down six and nobody's on base, I can understand that to go to Taylor Motter because though he's not supposed to get at bats, he is in a bench role, and that's basically the perfect spot of let's get a guy off his feet. This game's out of hand. Let's throw Motter out there to get one or two at bats. But the fact of the matter that the game had been cut down to four and the run at second base can cut it to three. And honestly, if DeYoung hits a home run, which he's got the power to do, you cut the game down to two with plenty of time left. You, you've got to go to Paul DeYoung in that spot because you know Taylor Motter's in out. I agree with Alex. I, I thought the moment that they pinched it for Motter, it felt like the white flag was waved by the St. Louis Cardinals. And it shouldn't have been that way. It wasn't like it was 11-2 to two and you knew the game was over. They were actually putting themselves in a position to really fight back and have a shot at winning that game or at least making it even more interesting than 11-7. to seven. So I, I found the decision puzzling. And I, I think when he said in the post-game press run, said, you know, it was a six-run game, I, I think it, what he's essentially saying was, yeah, I made up my decision before that ending started. We were going to Modern. And that shouldn't have been the case. There should be an adjustment for, hey, we were actually have a fighting chance all of a sudden. We need to go to Paul DeYoung rather than Taylor Motter. And I don't think it's not like one of those where it's like getting a pitcher warm in the bullpen where it's like, hey, we probably need like, you know, three batters, 15 pitches, something like that to warm up an arm in the bullpen. No, Paul DeYoung could have quickly made a, okay, I got to hurry up, get get a bat, go down to the cage, get a couple swings, come back up, take the put the donut on my bat, get loose real quick. I don't think it would have been a, oh, well, sorry, we already planned on Motter. He doesn't have time to warm up. Like, we already bought the food. It's there. That, yeah, that shouldn't be an issue for that situation. See, for me, like just hearing that again, I mean, isn't that essentially the manager saying, well, it's a six-run deficit. That's going to be too much for us to climb out of, so we're just going to go with Taylor Motter here so he can get at bats. So essentially, you're saying we're not coming back in this game. That's why we went with Taylor Motter, which I know he didn't say that, but I mean, essentially, that's what you're doing in that spot. And to be fair, like I would have had no issue with it if they were down six. I I do think when you're down by four in that spot and you have a runner on second, it changes the way that you need to look at that at bat. And Randy's been talking about this a lot on the morning show. And honestly, I've pushed back on it a, a good amount as well. But in this scenario, I actually think what Randy's been saying was absolutely correct. He's saying that all he's been managing react as a reactive manager as opposed to being proactive. I think that's exactly what happened yesterday. I think he was, here's what we've decided in the top of the sixth, and we're not going to change things in the bottom of the sixth because we had already scheduled this. This is the way that we were going to go about it, and we're not going to adjust on the fly. And given where this team is right now, given how urgently they need to get back on the winning side of the ledger, that doesn't work. You've got to be willing to be proactive constantly with the way that you're utilizing your roster that is available to you. And I didn't think like I didn't think yesterday he did that. I didn't think yesterday he put his team in the best position to win. And I think that's a pretty damning thing about a manager. He should not be fired for it. It was not a fireable offense, but that was one of those individual moments that you look back on. You're like, man, just don't understand some of the stuff that's happening around this team is weird. And this goes back to the transactions because guys, it is time. It is past time, honestly, to see some decisions made on this roster. There needs to be at some point, probably by the end of our show, a press release that comes out from the Cardinals that says, here are the 10 roster moves that we have made today. That needs to happen. You don't necessarily need to activate Wayno today because it'll probably be something that they send out at some point tomorrow morning and you'll have that extra spot on your roster for tonight. But at some point this weekend, they're going to activate Adam Wainwright. That much we know. The other moves that I think should happen I think they should call up Barrera as their backup catcher because right now Andrew Kisner is not hitting his own way. Juan Yepes, I think, should be up for this team by the end of the day. I think Luke and Baker should be a part of this roster by the end of the day. I think Matthew Liberator should make that start on Sunday and they should cancel his start tonight in AAA. 
I think they should option Woodford. I think they should option Kisner. I think they should option Tyler O'Neill because right now he's going through it and he's clearly not, in my opinion, one of your three best outfielders right now. I think they should DFA Motter. You place um, Wilking Rodriguez on the 60-day IL. And now, based on all of those moves that I just made, DFA Motter, placing Rodriguez on the 60-day IL, they said he's going to be out for a couple of months. He's going to be out for 60 days at a minimum. You're good on your 40-man roster. There's no issues there. You're good on your 26-man roster. You've made the necessary moves to go up and down. Uh, that's what I would want to see today, and that's a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten moves that have been made. I, I mean, honestly, the only other one I would add in there is bring back Jordan Walker. I, I mean, as much as you're still Even trying, he's struggling down in the minors because his numbers down in the minors so far have not mm-hmm. been good. Where would you rather him be, struggling in the minors or struggling at the majors? The minors, given what the pressure is on this team right now, I don't, I don't want to put Jordan Walker into a situation where every day. They are going through it. And listen to the quotes we're hearing from the guys that have been around for a while on this team. Now imagine putting Walker into that situation. I think it's kind of like the neighbors thing earlier this year with the Blues, where you just say, hey, it's a better environment for him down there right now. I guess. But at this point right now, I just like I would have rather seen him take that at bat yesterday than Taylor Motter in that spot. And if he struggles there, he struggles there. At least he's getting those opportunities. But if you want to keep him playing every day, then that's fine. I guess if you're not going to bring him up, if you're bringing up both Baker and Juan Yapez. Yeah, I, I think you have to bring up Baker, Yepes, I, Barrera. I, I don't even know if you have to go through the process of optioning Kisner down to the minors. I, I mean, he's yeah, not a major league DFA. player. I, and I know you'd make the argument of, well, maybe you got something in him. So, nah, I, I don't think you Well, do. maybe you just need it in case an injury pops yeah, up. I, Keep the just, asset. Like, you're DFAing Motter, so you've got the spot on your roster. There's no reason to say, DFA I, him. I would just do it towards, you know, DFA Motter, DFA Kisner, and you clear up either spot. It doesn't really matter how you go about it. Just find a way to get both those guys on the roster. You could also DFA Fermin if you want to. Yeah, I he, can't even find his stats. He's MIA. Um, I, um, There's spots on this 40-man roster is basically what we're saying. If you yeah. want to keep... Um, Kisner around you can and it, it changes nothing about what you have available yeah and, and I like the idea of deciding to bring up Libertron I mean he's earned it I mean yeah. you want to talk about they always talk about um, going into the offseason and making the improvements that are told upon you and how you, how do you handle that how do you handle pressure I mean, Libertor made the improvements that this this coaching staff and this front office asked of him. Hey, you got to learn to get right-handers out. Can you add some velo to the fastballs? Fastball velo is up, I think, a mile an hour from what it was last year. He's doing pretty well against right-handers. He was just named not the Cardinals pitcher of the month. He was that, but also the minor league pitcher of the month. So he's done everything to signal, hey, I deserve another chance at the big leagues and see what I've got. Um, so I, I wouldn't mind seeing that move either. And then I just want to, I hope one of the moves is not sending down Zuniga. He was too impressive in his first outing to say, well, to clear up a spot, we're going to have to send him down rather than sending down like a Jake Woodford who we'll put in our bullpen because we need a long man because our rotation's been struggling. I hope that's not the case. They they need real, tangible changes on this roster. They need to change, if nothing else, they need to change the vibes, man. The vibes are bad in that clubhouse right now. Like, guys are just going nuts. I think they're getting into their own heads at this point, and... Hey, man, if you could just have somebody like maybe Luke and Baker goes on a Hazel Baker type of run. Do you know how much energy that would provide for this team right now for a team that could really desperately use a little bit of energy or maybe Juan Yepes gets back as like, hey, Yepes is really going going on a, a bit of a run here. Cool. Great. They could use somebody like that. Just anybody. I don't care who it is. Maybe it's a uh, Matthew Liberts where he goes out there, strikes out. 10 in his first outing back in the big leagues. Awesome. Do you know how much energy that would provide for this team? They need something like that because right now, man, not only are they bad, they're boring and they have zero life to them. And I've pushed back on, I think we've talked about this before, T-Bone, the idea of like 
do you have energy and excitement first or do you have the winning that that promotes that energy and excitement you've got artificially created at this point because the winning isn't there it's not coming maybe by creating some of that energy you can then have the trickle down effect of a little bit more winning and the only guy that and correct me if i'm wrong here the only guy that i feel like really provides that kind of energy that we're talking about that can artificially provide it is Lars Newpar. And Newpar's going through it right now. To where though he did have what was it, three or four hits in yesterday's game, that was the first game he's really kind of broken out to where he's hitting the ball. Typically he's getting on base via the walk, but I don't expect him to be like doing the pepper grinder on first. Hey, yeah. look at that, a yeah. walk boys. You can't even put pepper on this right now to spice it up. That's yeah. not gonna do it. So they, if Lars Newpar gets hot, he's the only guy that I can like look to and say he's gonna provide some energy. Contreras brings a little bit of that, but it, it, I don't, he brings more fire than I think energy, if that makes sense. So they've got to try and provide something. Maybe it is Yepes. We saw like him last year get all kind of giddy with excitement with Albert Pools. Maybe he can recapture that, even though Albert's not in that dugout anymore. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into Ask Us Anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But coming up next, I've got a question for Alex. Are we seeing teams in the postseason succeeding with the style of play that the Blues would like to adopt? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up at about 10 minutes or so, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything Sports or Otherwise. Alex, as I'm watching these NHL playoffs, I wanted to ask you something because we mentioned this a little bit yesterday with Grant, but then the Cardinals, you know. We're going to get to this. And we didn't end up getting to it. So I wanted to discuss Grant it with was you. like, son of a. <laughs> he was disappointed, yes. <laughs> the Blues are trying to transition right now into this offensive-minded team, right? You look at the defensemen that they have, and it's very clear they're getting puck movers. They're trying to get the puck up the ice as quickly as possible to create offensive opportunities. And so when I look at the Florida Panthers or the Maple Leafs, the Kraken, uh, the Oilers, the Golden Knights even to a degree have some of this, the Devils certainly, they all play that style. Are we starting to see, and I saw a stat the other day, that scoring is actually not down this postseason. Mm -hmm. And typically you see a pretty significant uh, decline in scoring because there's better goalies and there's better defense being played once you get into the postseason. It it starts to shrink down. The, the, The difficulty of scoring goes up. Are we starting to see the Blues' new style of play succeeding in the playoffs? Right now, yes. But as it goes deeper, I'm not sure. And it depends on who advances. And what I mean by that is, like, you're seeing the offense go through the roof. And the Florida Panthers, I think, are the perfect example in terms of what you mentioned. you got five guys that are trying to play in the offensive zone, sustained offensive zone time. Frankly, that's the Toronto Maple Leafs also. Like, that series is the epitome of what the St. Louis Blues are trying to accomplish. The only difference with Florida and St. Louis, in my opinion, is 
They've got five guys on the ice that know what the mission is, and it's go to the front of the net and take the goaltender's eyes away. Blues did not do that throughout the season, and that's what they struggled with at most. But when I look to the Dallas Stars, when I look to the Vegas Golden Knights, when I look to the Carolina Hurricanes, they're still playing, in my opinion, more of the 2019 St. Louis Blues style than they are last year's Colorado Avalanche. Because as much emphasis as they're putting in the offensive zone, they're still putting that same emphasis in blocking shots and playing stingy in front of their net, and you're getting really good goaltending. So when I say it really depends on how the postseason goes, if Edmonton and Toronto are the teams in the Stanley Cup final this year, then I absolutely agree with what you say, that the Blues style is how the NHL is going. But if it's Carolina and Vegas or if it's Carolina and Dallas, then I still believe there's still an emphasis on tough in front of your net, defensive-minded hockey that capitalizes on the opportunities when they're presented in the offensive zone. Yeah, I think it's fair to wait and see what happens until it gets to the cup. But right now, I would say yes. I, I think the blue style is moving forward. So I just looked up to see like what the goals for per game was in the 19 cup run series. And the leader in the clubhouse was Vegas during that playoff run at three, about 3.57 goals wow. per game. Yeah. Right now, there are five teams that are higher than that yeah, in I think terms Vegas of Vegas is like what 3.8 3.9 Vegas, Vegas right now is at 4.17 wow. goals per game of Edmonton 4.14 Boston 3.86 Florida 3.67 Dallas 3.63 so five teams look some of those teams are out like Boston out of course so but five teams right now are already averaging more goals per game in the playoffs than what the top team was in Vegas in the 2019 Cup run season for the St. Louis Blues. And Vegas was eliminated in the first round. So looking at the Boston Bruins, they were at 3.29, which would put them uh, just a little ahead of Carolina right now, who is ninth in goals four per game. So I, I think there is a trend of these offensive teams that are having – you're seeing the offense trend in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And to Alex's point, we'll see if it leads to success in getting to the Cup and winning it all. So, Alex, as you – as you see this then, and you're, we're all watching the same postseason together, how does it influence the Blues' next moves? Like this offseason and yeah. into the future, if you're watching these games and you're saying, hey, to win a cup, you might have to score four goals per game in the postseason. What does that mean for the Blues' next build? See, I, I, I think it means it's going to take a proper analysis of the roster you have in place right now. Because I, I believe the perfect example of the St. Louis Blues is Florida. Florida Panthers are something that the St. Louis Blues are trying to accomplish. And I know everybody's going to say, well, yeah, it'd be nice if they had Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, they've got Matthew Kachuk and they've got uh, Ekblad. Like, those are the two superstars on that team. But go look at the other guys that are contributing in the postseason. It's Sam Bennett. It's uh, Brandon Montour. It's Gustav Forsling. Like, these are guys that on any other day of the week in the regular season, you're like, who the bleep are these guys? Hmm. These are the guys that are contributing to the Saint, or to the Florida Panthers' success. And that's when I look at St. Louis. St. Louis isn't going to thrive solely off of Jordan Cairo scoring all of the goals in the postseason. It's going to be multiple guys being a part of it. But what I and when you when you say proper analysis of your roster, do you have 26 guys on your roster this season that are going to commit to the style that Craig Bruby wants to play? Because every single person on that Florida Panthers roster is committed to what Paul Maurice wants to do with his system, why it's working so well, because they're going to the front of the net. They're taking the cheap shots from the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're they're taking those those blows and they're 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 they're. They're having success because of it with the goals that they're scoring. Yeah, I 
I think the next step for the St. Louis Blues, I, I don't even know. I, I kind of agree with Alex there, but I think they got to that point in the second half of everybody being kind of on the same style of the way that they wanted to play, at least the way that I envision what the Blues are hoping to do next year. Like you bring yeah. in Vrana, more speed, Kapanen, kind of more speed. I thought like O'Reilly was kind of out here in St. Louis because he was more of that cycle style play, and there, it clearly wasn't working. I mean, when you had to rely on a fourth liner to sit on your top line and Josh Levo to make it work, yeah. it clearly wasn't a a uh, recipe for success for the St. Louis Blues. So I think they've got the pieces in terms of when I'm looking at their forward group. I, to me, it just comes down to the defense. And, and I understand, like, puck moving is going to be the, the name of the game for the St. Louis Blues and what that defensive core is. It's going to be is. a Corsi rating. It's going to be puck possession. But that that's the biggest thing is how do they maintain more possession with the puck? And also not only that, but somebody's going to have to start figuring out a way to just prevent those easy tapping goals at, at the net. There's got to be more defensive awareness from the St. Louis Blues defenseman, and I think that's the number one thing that they've got to look for. And in terms of puck possession, it is intriguing to me that Scott Perunovich is committed to go play uh, for Team USA, uh, like for their the, the world championship that's going on, because that's more playing time for him. And now you're going to play against NHL-caliber players. They're gonna If they're not going to be able to make a move to get your guy Mackenzie Weger or my guy Noah Hannafin, then you're going to have to rely on the same guys that you had last season, and that's going to rely on you guys changing the style of hockey that you're playing to commit to this offensive zone time, but also not being a liability on the defensive side. Somebody on the text line asked something that I think is a, it's a fair question. When you look at the goals that have been scored so far in the playoffs, and Alex, we talked about the power play and how important it is once oh, you yeah. get into the playoffs. There's some truth to that, but there's been 355 goals scored so far in the postseason. 83 were on the power play. So like as much as yes, that is obviously hugely important. That's a, a decent chunk of the goals that have been scored. It's like about 25% of them. And is that a higher percentage than the regular season? Yes, it is a, a little bit, but there's still 270 yeah. goals that have been scored that were not on the power play. And so that is something that you, you need to keep in mind. And as you look at the amount of goals, I, I just looked this up goals per game in the postseasons at 3.16. Goals per game during the regular season this year in the NHL, 3.18. It's almost the exact same. Mm -hmm. Guys, that is rare. That almost never happens in the NHL where the goals are staying up that high over the course of the playoffs. And this is a trend that we've seen coming over the last really three years now. Since like the start of the 2021 season, we've seen goal production go up in the league. And Army, I'll give him a lot of credit for this. He watches the league trends. And he sees where the game is going. And he's been telling us, Alex, for the last few seasons, it's about speed. It's about speed. It's about speed. We've got to get faster. And as he was watching some of the teams that the Blues went up against this year, he said one of the biggest differences is you can see that these other teams can play with that speed for three periods. The Blues can do it for a period, maybe even two periods. But for whatever reason, the third period, maybe it's the actual third period or the second, whatever, there's a lapse in that team's beat at some point over the course of the game. And so for this offseason, one thing that I would be paying attention to is how do they add to that? How do they add to that team's beat? And it doesn't need to be by another skater uh, that can skate as fast as Jordan Cairo is, but somebody that plays fast. Mm-hmm. And that is not necessarily the same thing as a guy that skates fast. And I think that has to come on the defensive side because everybody hears that and says, oh, we'll go get another forward who can do that. I think you've got plenty of guys that can do that. Verana, Kapanen, Kairu. Thomas has got some speed to him. When Buchnevich is healthy, he can be a little bit of a faster skater. Brandon Saad's a quick skater. You've got the speed. And then these younger guys, they might be impactful this year. 
you don't have the speed on the defensive side. You got one guy that I believe can skate with the best of them on the defensive side. Falk. No, Colton Pareko. Oh, okay. I think well, Justin Falk's slow. Oh. <laughs> and no disrespect to him, I think he, he I can play. I was going to say they're like right next to each other in terms of the speed. I think Pareko's faster, but I would put Falk in a, a spot where I would feel comfortable with his speed. Th- those two guys play the way, like they play fast, but they are fast. Tory Krug, although he can be fast, he doesn't play fast. He plays fast on the power play, but I don't think he plays fast enough for five on five. Nick Letty's not that guy either. That's and- what I was about to say. The funny thing is Nick Letty, the number one thing that you hear about when the Blues traded for him and now that he's playing for the Blues for an extended period of time is, man, good skater. When you watch him play, I don't watch him and say to myself, ah, that guy plays fast. Mm-hmm. The decisions are a little bit slower. Yep. It's why he was not the quarterback on the power plays because he made decisions too slow on the blue. Like it's... Yeah. It is something that you need to keep in mind, and that's why Mackenzie Weaker is the guy that the Blues should or trade no for this season. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Ask us anything here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes, Kyle Reese, minor league writer for Birds on the Black. We decided today, a day where the Cardinals should be making a bunch of moves, <laughs> it's a good day to be able to discuss some of those players with Kyle Reese. Very excited uh, to have him coming up in the show about 10 minutes from now. But right now, let's get into Ask Us Anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions, this is the time to get them in, sports or otherwise. Alex, I think this one's directed towards you. Do you think that Toronto will still blow up their team if they end up getting swept in the second round of the playoffs? That's a really good question. I think uh, the guys on the Spit and Chicklets podcast were talking about that because somebody asked the question, if Toronto gets swept, does the first round success even matter? Like, yeah, you get out of the first round for the first time since 2004, but then you get swept. My answer to that would be, yeah, it's success because you could have lost in the first round of Tampa, but I still believe they'll blow it up. I I mean... You got out of the first round, which is awesome, but you spent basically all of your commodities to win it now. Like you went all in this offseat or this season to win it now. And if you don't, you're one year away from having to re-sign Austin Matthews. You're one year away from having to re-sign William Nylander. You still don't have your defense figured out and you don't have a goaltender that you're ready to take over because Samsonov has not been the guy. So, yeah, I think they're going to have to blow it up. Now, blow it up in the sense of they're not trading everybody away and rebuilding. They're going to do kind of what the Blues are doing in terms of retooling. I would say you're probably going to see William Nylander traded away. Maybe a John Tavares, although I can't see them moving on from the captain. They're not going to get rid of Marner. But Matthews is probably going to command somewhere between 12 and $13 million. Probably trade away a couple of their defensemen and figure out who they're going to have to have in goal. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a much different-looking team if they get swept by Florida. I I would agree with that. I I think the only way you don't see them really blow it up is they get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Because then then I think you can kind of justify it of, yes, we we made a push to win it all, but we ran into... You know, we ran into whether it be Carolina, whoever else comes out of that series. You can you can look at it and go, hey, we got there. It means we're just one step closer to getting to the cup. And, and I think that's the only way you justify it. You get swept here. I, I think it's somewhat of a failure. I know you got past the first round. You ended that streak that you just said. But 
you basically lay an egg after you get past that. That that's very disappointing if you're the Maple Leafs. Even if you don't get swept, if you lose this series, you're supposed to be on paper a better team than the Florida Panthers. And if you lose to the Florida Panthers, well, then that's not successful. You're supposed to be you're viewed as one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference with the payroll and the players that you have, and you can't get past Florida. That's that's not a success. Yeah, it. At a certain point in time, you have to get a return on the investment that they've made specifically on those forwards. Yeah. And as tough as it is to move on from Nylander, Marner, Tavares, or Matthews, and listen, it's not going to be Tavares or Matthews. um, There will come a point in time where that is necessary because after next year, both Matthews and Nylander are going to be unrestricted free agents. Probably going to have to pick one. And my assumption would be they want to have that deal done with one of them this offseason. Agreed. And whoever they don't get the deal done with might have to be on the move. Because it sounds crazy, the notion of do like, let's say Matthews tells them, I'm not resigning this offseason. I'm going to market. What do you do if you're Toronto, Alex? Lock up. You, you have to lock up Nylander. And but, then do you consider trading Matthews this offseason the way that... Yeah, you have to. The way that the uh, Calgary Kachuk. Flames did with Kachuk? Yeah, you have to. Because you... And like you the, have to be fair, this is not me talking about the Blues going after Matthews. I don't think they do that. But well, Matthews is going to command thirteen or fourteen mil a year, so you're not going to be able to afford that. But yeah, if he if he says I'm not coming back, and you got one more year of me, you move him because you haven't gotten past the second round with Austin Matthews, and one more year of Austin Matthews with the exact same roster isn't going to do you very well. So if that's the case, and you I, get a king's ransom for it, exactly, yeah. you 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 shed eleven million dollars, and you probably try and bring back something that opens up some cap space and brings you still a competitive roster because you still have three of the best players on that roster in Tavares, Marner, and Nylander. I would assume that Arizona would be the team they would call. Going back home, yeah, I, probably flip them for Clayton Keller, but and Arizona has like a Austin, million first and second round. But Austin picks. Matthews also has a no. Or a uh, no trade clause or no movement clause. There's been a lot of talk about him potentially going back there, though, right? That's where he's from, right? Yeah, that's yep. where he's from. I, I don't know if he goes back there until Arizona's competitive. And I mean, Arizona, even with Austin Matthews, they ain't making the playoffs next year. They're, he, they're probably still two or three years away. Does he really want to p- play in front of 5,000 fans a night? Yeah. At Bowling how, Arena? how long is it until their arena? Uh, I think Bad? it's two or th- no, I think it's four or five years. Oh, I was saying, they don't have that project really up yeah. and running yet. I think it just was going up for approval, so okay. it's going to take a few years. So I, I don't know where he would go. You know, I could see, I could see Chicago probably saying like, yeah, let's bring him in, oh, get great. another face of the franchise. Um, Philly, maybe Philly. I could absolutely they see want to him turn things over there. I don't know if they would trade him to Philly though. If he's going to get traded a Western conference team, maybe they trade him to Winnipeg. Colorado's always in on players like this. Vegas Co- is always in on players like this. I don't I know how you, they make it work, yeah. but they're always what, in Colorado is going to be just as intriguing as Toronto because all of their cap money is starting to kick in this year. Like McKinnon's getting paid. McCarr's getting paid. You know who I think actually makes a lot of sense here is Detroit. Yeah. They need a superstar. Oh, yeah. Steve Eiserman would pounce on that opportunity. Yeah. Something, something he and like Dylan that. Larkin would be the faces of that franchise. And they've got a lot of guys that are kind of in that mid tier uh, salary mm-hmm. slot that maybe you end up getting a couple of them. Yeah. I, I could see something like that. See New Jersey working. doing it too. Yeah. One of those teams that's on the rise mm-hmm. and they say, this is our last piece, yeah. our superstar talent that is going to be added in with our yeah. core nucleus of players. All right. Next one up. Alex, how do you think the 2019 Blues would stack up in today's playoffs? 
I'm assuming with that question, that means we're getting the exact same, re- like the same competitiveness the, with yeah, the take roster. Take the 2019 Blues, put them in 2023. They're in the postseason. Oh, How do they do? I think they're in the Western Conference. I think they're in the Stanley Cup final. I haven't seen a team in the Western Conference that would be better than that team right now, considering how well they played defensively, how aggressive they were and their goaltending. Now, who they're playing in the Stanley Cup final? That's the biggest question. I thought Boston was the best team at the time, but yeah, I think they wiped the floor clean with everybody in the West. I think this Western Conference is down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it is a easier path this year than it was in 2019. Arguably. I, th- I think their toughest opponent this year would be Dallas with oh, yeah. Ottinger mm-hmm. in net. It would remind, play it, similar styles. Yeah, yeah. And it would remind me a lot of like when Bishop was in that, yeah. like a very similar series Absolutely. is how I could see it. So just, I would say Western conference finals, Stanley cup finals yeah. where I think, they I, I think Seattle, I think Seattle's riding a lot of magic right now. I think Vegas is getting really lucky with how well their goaltender's been playing. So yeah, I, I I view them walking through it pretty easily. I think excellent teams, regardless of the era, are going to be excellent. Yeah. Like the the 90s Bulls, they would adjust to today's style of play. They would have been excellent. Uh, The 2010s Golden State Warriors, they would have been excellent regardless of the era in which they played. Yes, even when there were big men that were roaming underneath the basket the way that they don't nowadays. If you're a great team, you're going to find a way to adjust. Skill is skill. The level of athlete is different today than it was, you know, in the 60s. So that changes things a bit. But otherwise, I mean, great team and it's within a 15, 20 year stretch. Probably still going to be great. I mean, look at that team last year that nearly beat the Colorado Avalanche that were clear cut better than everybody else in the NHL. And that was not the 2019 team. So imagine a 2019 team against this talent in the playoffs. Coming up next, Kyle Reese. I think he's the best person in really the country to talk about for Cardinals prospects. He watches them in a way that really nobody else outside of the organization does. He writes about them over at Birds on the Black. He's going to tell us what we can expect from some of the kids that could be called up later on today. Kyle Reese next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to be joined by Kyle Reese. He writes about the minor leagues for the Cardinals over on Birds on the Black. You can also follow him on Twitter at KyleR416. I don't think there's anybody in the country that watches the Cardinals minor leaguers the way that Kyle Reese does. Kyle, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I'm doing really well. It's always a pleasure, guys. I'm honored. Uh, Happy to have you because... Kyle, there are some reinforcements that are necessary, as you know, for this Cardinals team. I would be shocked if we don't get a list of like at least four or five guys that are making their way up to the big leagues at some point, either today or later on this weekend. Uh, So let's start with the guy that is probably the headliner with his performance down in the minors so far this year, and that's Matthew Liberatore. I don't think he's going to be the guy that they call up this weekend, but I would like to see him up at some point soon based on the, at least the numbers that we see from him down in the minors. You've watched him though. You've had your eyes on him in his last few starts. What have you seen that looks different to you this year with Matthew Liberator, if anything? You know, it's all of those things that we talked about in the off season that we needed to see from him. They're all happening at once. He has sustained fastball velocity he is using, he's changed his usage of his off-speed pitches, so we're starting to see him use that curveball a lot. Uh, the curveball more than the slider. He's still not using the slider a ton. But his fastball velocity is up. His location and command of the fastball is better. 
and his his plus plus curveball is just playing off of it perfectly, which has allowed him to use his slider a little less frequently, but in key spots. And then also what he'll do is uh, to, at the beginning of a start, he'll use his four seam pretty frequently. And then as he gets a little later into the game, he'll start using his two seam a little bit more, which is just a, a little bit of an eye change, a little bit of a movement change to, to throw hitters off a little bit more while keeping that velocity. And uh, these are the reasons why not only his traditional stats, but all of the advanced stats are telling us the truth, which is that he has taken the next step in his development. So, Kyle, when I see that and I hear that, I'm thinking, okay, well, he deserves to be starting in the Cardinals rotation. But with the news of Steven Matz obviously looking like he's either going to go to the bullpen or get a start skipped, the name Connor Thomas has been brought up of who could be getting that start. And, Kyle, when I look at the numbers, they don't look like Matthew Liebertor's numbers. So tell me I'm missing something that's not on the stat line with Connor Thomas. I, I love Connor Thomas with, with my entire heart. I've enjoyed watching him. Uh, I think what the stat line tells you is pretty accurate. I think the issue with him is his command. He's a command first pitcher. He has a really great slider and a really great cutter. And the, both of those pitches work really well off of each other. But, you know, when you're throwing 88, 89 miles an hour on a relative regular basis, and, you know, he has good movement with, with his fastball sinker, it's just, if his command isn't pinpoint, and sometimes with his mechanics he flies open a little bit, if his mechanics are off and his command isn't pinpoint, and if he can't hit the outside corner against lefty or against righties and, and work it inside against righties, then he just kind of gets hit. He'll put too many batters on. Uh, but there, there are times, and this is another thing that with Matthew Libertor too, when both Libertor and Connor Thomas, and you can see it in their body language and their demeanor, when they're in aggressive attack mode, that's when they're at their best. It's just one of those mental things where it's easier said than done to constantly be in attack mode. Uh, and you need to have really great command when you're constantly in attack mode because if you're not, you're leaving too much over the middle of the plate. And I feel like that's what Connor Thomas has kind of gotten himself in, in trouble with more than anything. Kyle Reese is our guest here on 101 ESP, and he watches the Cardinals minor leaguers in a way that very few can say that they honestly do. Uh, Kyle, when I look over at the hitting side of things, guys that could immediately come up and at least based on the numbers that we see provide some sort of a spark. The two guys that uh, pop off the page are Luke, Luke and Baker and Juan Yepes. Now we've got a pretty good idea of what Juan Yepes is at the big league level. If, if he's not up by the end of the day, I'd, I'd honestly be shocked. What about Luke and Baker? Are, are the numbers real? Because the numbers are 310 batting average and 710 slugging percentage, and he's among the leaders in AAA and home runs this year. Are those real in your mind with what you've seen? I think, um, I think sometimes we get caught up in the long-term sustainability of things. I think right now those numbers are real. I don't know how long those numbers would be real. And I think that every bat that he doesn't take uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals while he's producing this way is kind of a wasted at bat. You know, uh, he's older for a prospect. He's hitting everything. You know, he's, he's hitting breaking pitches from righties. He's hitting breaking pitches from lefties, fastballs from lefties and righties. He's on everything. In the last couple of years with Luke and Baker, when you watch him, he would fall off so much, and he'd get he'd get in front of stuff, and he'd hit tank jobs, but foul down the left field line, and he was just like a little fraction off. And a lot of times, that was because he he'd creep forward a little bit while not not necessarily committing to swinging. So it was a lot of falling off, and you could actually see like the mind and the body working against each other. And now it's just he's letting it fly more. His plan in the in the box is clear, and. On top of that, AAA pitchers are afraid to throw to him. It is if they get down one zero, 
he's in complete command of, of that at bat. So I think, I think right now those numbers are real. Major League Baseball's tough. I could, I could definitely see a situation in which you know that, that mechanical hitch comes back or teams start adjusting to him. Uh, uh, maybe get a little bit more attack oriented, and maybe he starts to struggle and how he adjusts to that. But in this very moment, he is as real and as major league ready as you can have of a player that hasn't already made a major league debut. So he could have like a three week sh- or two week stretch the way that Jeremy Hazelbaker, for example, did back in what was that, 2016 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And just a, one, one little note about Juan Yepes. Yeah, I, I'm with you. We'll see him today, which is awesome. And uh, I hope he gets a real run uh, to, at, at a bats because I, he's just one of those hitters that needs real run. But yeah, look, Luke and Baker, if you got to give him a chance, give him some DH at bats. I, I don't think it would hurt anybody, anybody on the roster, anybody on the 40 man at all. So Kyle, when I hear this, I'm thinking, okay, well, these guys should be playing at the major league level right now for the Cardinals. But then of course we get to the internal argument of, well, there's not really a spot for those guys on the roster. So tell me somebody who watches prospects on a daily basis, that it's just as infuriating for you as it is for other Cardinals fans. When you see these guys smashing the baseball and hear, well, there's no spot for them to play. It's uh, it's infuriating. And it's, for me, I see both sides of it, right? I see, I see the, the clerical side from the front office where oh, you've got all these guys and they have to get at bats. And how can you, how can you, we're not even doing it right with the 26 man roster. How can we do it with the 40 man and getting these young players up and getting them at the bats? But uh, I, so yes, I am, I'm extremely frustrated where my frustration ends up, ends up maybe peaking a little bit more as I see somebody like Luke and Baker rake is he, he's not a 20, 20 year old, who just converted to right field. You know, he's not a, a 21-year-old shortstop who was a, a part-time pitcher two years ago. He's 25, 26 years old who, you know, a little bit more advanced. You don't need him to play defense. You just need him to maybe take some at-bats and be a spark plug if you can, and you have you lose nothing if you have to send him back down. So I always, I always tend to be more frustrated with that. Uh, than I am with anything else. And then I, I always get really frustrated with like the situation that Matthew Libertor is in because they were so quick to get him to the majors. And even, even when he, necess- he wasn't necessarily ready for the majors. And now that he has showed all of those signs, just like, just like you mentioned, now that he's showing all of those signs of growth and being the pitcher that they wanted him to be and that he was capable of being and having that sustained, that they won't go to him when the starting staff is faltering uh, across the board, except for Jordan Montgomery, really, and Michael is starting to pick it back up. It, it, it's mind-numbingly frustrating. I get, I get so focused on it that uh, I, I definitely understand the fans' frustration as well. All right, so let me ask you about another older, he's not even a prospect at this point, but older player that is in the Cardinals system. And I will be honest with you, my ears perked up when I heard, I think this was even like right before winter warmup, that the Cardinals had signed old friend Oscar Mercado. (laughs) And so far, he's done nothing but impress down in the minors. 333 batting average, he's got an OPS above 900, and he's never had any issues defensively. That's kind of been his calling card in his career. What are you seeing from Oscar Mercado down in the minors? And like, if he was brought up to be a fourth outfielder, for example, do you think he would be a guy that would help this roster with what you've seen from him? And uh, it's a perfect combination for uh, the once in future legend, Oscar Mercado. <laughs> I think that he uh, he's, he's hitting the ball hard, but he's also lucking into a lot of like bloops 
he'll get kind of sawed off, but still turn it into a hit. And he still has really good speed, so he that's working to his his favor. Defensively, I I don't think I've seen him make one mistake. I mean, like real mistake. You know, he I think he has one fielding miscue, but he's been so solid out there. And yes, my my answer to that question is in a different situation, maybe uh, where the Cardinals already didn't have a jammed outfield, and say they moved some of their outfield depth, then yes, you know, if if they had to trade from the major league roster and they felt confident with their three starting outfielders and Oscar Mercado was going to be your fourth outfielder who was more of a defensive replacement who could get some matchup at bats. Yeah, I I don't think anybody would be frustrated with that. If he was the traditional fourth outfielder uh, that we saw for the last 50, 60, 100 years of baseball, uh, then no, I, I don't think that anybody would be frustrated by that as your 25th or 26th man on the roster. Kyle, when you look at the two catchers that have been getting the majority of the playing time down in AAA so far, if the Cardinals decided today, hey, we're going to make a move with Kisner because his bat just is not playing the way that they want it to, between Yvonne Herrera and Trez Barrera, who do you think would be better suited to get that backup catching job right now? Who do you think is more prepared for that opportunity based on what we've seen from them? I think that the Cardinals think it's Trez Barrera. And I think that's more important than what I think. I, um, I, I, I do think that the strides that Avon Herrera has made at the plate, you know, he's hitting the ball harder now than he ever has. And by a really great deal. And uh, he's still on track. Like this is something I, I think we've talked about in the past. He's still on track. He's still, uh, still a month younger than Nolan Gorman. So he's going to be 23 here in a little bit. He, he got, you know, fast track to the majors, which makes it tough to kind of evaluate his his development and maybe uh, the question marks around his development get get amplified a little bit when maybe uh, the perspective on his development needed to be calmed down just a little bit. But uh, I I would go Avon Herrera because I think that the Cardinals owe it to themselves to see what Avon Herrera is capable of. But I I I would say it's also splitting splitting hairs because Trez Barrera has been so impressive down there. Uh, and, and also working in kind of a backup role and also working with Avon Herrera and another uh, catcher there, Aaron Antonini, kind of kind of helping them with pitching philosophies and, uh, you know, catching philosophies, working with pitchers. And I, I think that the Cardinals were high enough on Trez uh, coming out of spring training that it just it would make sense if you're if you're committed to Wilson Contreras catching, 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 not DH catching, that you would go with the older guy that would get fewer reps while Avon Herrera continues to hone his 22-year-old craft. Kyle, final one from me. A lot of people are asking it on our text line, so I am curious what you've seen in the six games with Jordan Walker for Memphis. I feel like we are seeing the same stuff that we started to see over those last two, three weeks, two, two, two and a half weeks at the major league level. Um, he's getting pitched backwards, and he's not seeing a lot of fastballs. And when Major League Baseball started to adjust to him and, you know, uh, those last 10 games or whatever, his weighted runs created, which I know is a hot topic here on your guys' show. Oh. But uh, you know, he was, he was, I'm sorry, Brandon. I, I apologize. I know that uh, you and I will be alone in this book. But, um, uh, no, like, you know, when his weighted runs created dropped below 50, it, what he really struggled with is that he was getting fed a steady diet of breaking pitches. He wasn't getting fastballs on the inner half of the zone. And uh, he was over-aggressive at swinging because he can make contact with a lot, and because he hits the ball hard, he knows that he can usually make the most of it. And he's, he's employing those same methods in the minors, and it's just not paying off. So I, I, think, I think he's still just a little jumpy. I think, I think he's been a little bit more aggressive than what we saw at the majors, and we all know how aggressive he was in the majors. 
And I think that, I think he just needs to, I think he went down there with the intent to impress and maybe that's pushing him to not have the success that he's capable of having, but uh, it's not going to take him long. You know, even with the swing adjustments, whether they stick or they don't stick, he's going to be fine. He just needs time to grow back into his own skin a little bit. Kyle, final question. Kyle Reese is our guest here on 101 ESPN. He writes about the Cardinals minor leaguers for birds on the black. Give him a follow on Twitter at Kyle R four one six. Who is a guy that has impressed you this season? Maybe it was somebody that you were hoping to see take that next step. Uh, a guy that you didn't see coming and he's just kind of exploded onto the scene this year. Who is somebody in the Cardinal system, regardless of level that has really surprised Kyle Reese with what you've seen so far from him this year. We've been so focused on how to supplement the major league roster that some of the players a little bit lower get, get overlooked. One of them being Chandler Redman, uh, the first baseman DH somewhat utility player for Springfield. He's older, 25, 26. And there's no reason that that, that young man should still be at double a, um, he should be in triple a. He's a power hitting lefty who got his body in, in tremendous shape this off season. He was a, a really, I'm going to be honest. He was a really terrible defensive first baseman, uh, two years ago. And even last year, and he worked tirelessly this off season to get his, his defense better. And it's obvious at first base in Springfield, it's still not great. Uh, but it's it's above average, and that's that's a positive. He he's he's hitting for power. He's hitting lefties a little bit more than he has traditionally as a left-handed swinger, and he he definitely deserves to be a level higher for nearly every conceivable reason uh, than Double A. And then another player that that comes to my mind um, is Victor Scott the second, the Cardinals' third, or, uh, fifth round pick out of West Virginia last year, the uh, center fielder. He's just He's so sure-handed out in the outfield, and he's stolen 17 bases on 18 attempts. His speed is real. His instincts on the base path are real. He, he's a little bit quick twitch, uh, maybe a little too quick twitch in the box for his own good, but he has is, he is really, really impressed me. And then I guess if I could throw a pitcher in there, uh, I think somebody who I have doubted in the past, who I still don't think is like a top prospect, even though he's producing, is Michael McGreevy. I uh, I think that he's made changes to both his sinker and his slider, and I think that they play extremely well off of each other with his very quick arm motion. And I think that to a degree, not all the way, but I think to a degree, some of the success that he's had at Springfield and some of the success he's had since being promoted to Memphis is real. It's just a matter of like, what level real it is. Is it, is it going to be Luke Weaver level real or, you know, uh, Dakota Hudson level real, Wait, which one of those is the good one. Yeah, I was going to say, where's the good one in your eye, Kyle? I, I, so I, I, I've been really quick on Twitter to say, and this dates back to a little bit, but maybe, you know, a couple months now, I think what Michael McGreevy is, I think he's Dakota Hudson with command and, you know, he's a huh, primarily caliber uh, stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. He was the Cardinals best pitcher in 2020 or whatever. Damn right. He was Kyle. <laughs> so, so yeah, look, I, I think that there's, there is that potential to be what we, what the Cardinals hoped Dakota Hudson would be, which was a middle of the rotation, back of the rotation, uh, uh pitcher. But we've also seen that 92, 92 mile an hour, uh, fastball sinker that, that McGreevy throws probably isn't enough at the next level either. It's the same kind of thing with, with, with him as Matthew Libertor. He needs to continue to build the velocity throughout a start, um, especially in the two starts in Memphis. He, 
he has made hitters, really good minor league hitters and former major league hitters, look really bad early on in starts when his velocity is in the 93 range and his his slider is cutting at the last minute and his sinker is cutting at the last minute and breaking in opposite directions and get get some really off-balance swings and uh, make make some hitters look really bad swinging. But as he gets later later into his start, he lucks, he's lucked into a lot of success. So I think that his success is more real than I've given it credit for in the past. I'd like to acknowledge that, uh, you know, show something I've, I've done wrong. But I also think that he has a little ways to go. But that shouldn't take away from the fact that he's impressed me more than I thought he would at this point. Never acknowledge when you're wrong. That's the, yeah, the mantra of this lives show. On that. Kyle, appreciate the time as always, man. Really great information. There's no better place to get it. At KyleR416 is where you can follow him on Twitter. You can find all of his work right there. Appreciate the time as always. Enjoy this weekend, man. We'll talk with you again soon. Yeah, you guys rock. Thanks very much. Absolutely. That's Kyle Reese joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time. I want to follow up on a few things that he said there, specifically. The fact that Dakota Hudson's the team's ace, and now you got another one in Michael McCray. <laughs> yeah, it's great Let's that go. they're developing another Dakota Hudson. Let's Can't go. wait to see that. Uh, but also, some of the guys that he mentioned that could be coming up to the big league soon. Are they really going to help? Are they going to change the trajectory of what we've seen so far? We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Conversation with Kyle Reese. I highly recommend checking it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire in Auto Centers. He he writes and watches uh, the minor minor leagues for the Cardinals in a way that honestly I can't imagine there's anybody else that watches more. And so he's got a better grasp on what some of those guys are doing night to night than certainly any of us in this room do. Uh, if we're just being totally transparent about it, should start watching more of the Redbirds are a better baseball team. Honestly, it is a far better product. Are right they now. though? Yeah, yes. They're 20 and 11. They won like 11 in a row. Hot at one damn. Point. So what he mentioned specifically about Matthew Libertor, I think is important to note. He basically said, Hey, everything that we were talking about last year that went wrong for Matthew Libertor, it looks like it's fixed. Now, I don't know if that's going to sustain. He might get up to the big leagues, and you see uh, he's he's trying to overthrow his fastball so he doesn't have the same command of it, and then uh, he doesn't go to the curveball as often because he's concerned it's going to get hit hard. Like That stuff happens sometimes, and there's no way to to recognize it until you actually see him in the big leagues um, trying to see what his stuff looks like there. But at this point, don't you have to try it? Like, he... He mentioned now Connor Thomas, who has a 5.2 ERA in opposing hitters are batting 330 against him so far in the minors. And they got command issues. That's a recipe for success. He flat out said nothing about that is fluky. He just hasn't been very good so far this year. He's not striking anybody out. He's walking too many batters and he's getting hit pretty hard so far this year. Okay, well, then if I've got two options, both of them lefties, both of them on the 40 man op- 40 man roster already. I'm going with Matthew Libertor. And yeah, I know that he's scheduled to start before Sunday. Well, push him back. Let him get a bullpen day today. And is that like changing his schedule a bit? Yeah, it is. Guess what? Welcome to the big leagues, kid. I bet you he's probably going to accept the opportunity. 
Yeah. What do you think he's gonna be like? Well, I'm worried my arm's gonna be in bad shape because my I'm arm will fall off. I'll stay in Memphis. One yeah, day, one before. extra day of rest. Yeah, I'll How stick will with, I possibly adjust? I'll stick with cardboard pizza for dinner on the bus back home over coming up to the bigs with one day less of rest. Like, no, you should not go to anybody other than Matthew Libertor if you are trying to win baseball games. To go to somebody and say, well, it wasn't on schedule is ridiculous. Matthew Libertor has been clear cut the best pitcher, not just for the Cardinals, but one of the best pitchers prospects in the minor leagues so far this season so there is no explanation as to why he will not be pitching when that spot comes up in the order that I will accept because Matthew Libertor should be the guy if you're trying to snap this losing problem and you can't go back to Steven Matz in that no. spot you've no, already made I'm it sorry. clear that you're questioning it he has stated publicly now I don't trust my curveball he's not throwing it he's basically a two-pitch starter right now and he's saying I don't trust my curveball right now okay well then you can't start for us that's the, that's just where you're at. It doesn't mean that you can't be an effective pitcher. We've said it. His splits against left-handed hitters so far this year are really good. They're, they're not doing any damage against him. They're batting 150 against him. All right, you're a $10 million guy that gets lefties out. Is that overpaying for that role? Absolutely it is. Is that a failure compared to what they were expecting? 100%, yes. But this is the reality. You're now into the middle of the season, and Steven Matz is not your best option in that spot in your rotation. Matthew Libertor is. It might end up being the exact same results with Matthew Libertor that it's been so far with Steven Matz. I would rather see Libertor fail than throw Steven Matz out there once again. From the 573, I would just keep Libertor in the minors so he can look awesome and trade him for real help. Yeah, that's called Sandy Alcantara 2.0. That real help of Marcelo Zuna doesn't actually help. Yeah, and like you're beyond if you want to salvage this season, which I would think 99% of Cardinals nah. fans want to. Libertor's the guy to bring up the weight to trade him and not devalue him because you're afraid of what his numbers will look like when he gets back up here to the major leagues. Guys, trades aren't going to happen until we get to probably July. And the Cardinals right now, if they just run with this rotation, they're uh, they're not going to be buying at the deadline. They're going to be selling. So I... I think you bring him up here. And look, if Connor Thomas was pitching well, I would be okay with him just going with, hey, you know what? It's actually his turn. He's on schedule. Let's do it. Let's let's go with Connor Thomas. I would totally understand that. Sure. But the fact of the matter that he's basically, Kyle Reese just said it, where he has no idea where the baseball is going and has a lack of command issues, they don't need that right now. They if need the somebody choice is Mats or Thomas, you should go Mats. But the choice shouldn't be Mats or Thomas. No, like, that should be option C. choice. Yes, there should be option C with Matthew Libertor. I agree with you guys. I, I think you have to push him back just a day, throw a bullpen. Hell, throw a bullpen up here at the major league staff. Have sure. Dusty Blake see it. See, Have Ollie see it. They can make any adjustments that they need. And I think the most encouraging thing that I heard from Kyle in, in that interview was not just, hey, they told him, here's what you got to work on in the uh, offseason, and he's done that, but hearing him say, in games, he then starts to switch to a two-seam just to kind of change the way that batters see things. That's really encouraging to hear that Matthew Libertor is making adjustments in-game to help him have success as the outing goes along. That's what a major league pitcher does. Is yeah. Adam Wainwright just doesn't go through the road to the uh, lineup the first time going, all right, I'm going to the curveball in this scenario. Second time through, I'm going to do the exact same thing. No, he's constantly adjusting in-game, and that's what it sounds like Libertor is doing. That's the thing. It sounds like the physical side and the mental side are now getting to major league capabilities. And if that is indeed the case, it's it's time to see what that looks like in the big leagues. It might not work. It might not. But at this point, what you're doing is failing spectacularly. At least with Libertor, there's some upside there. What you have right now, there is zero upside remaining. And I also, just to put a bow on this, on the guys that could potentially be coming up, he makes a really good point on Luke and Baker. Like, if you're going to call somebody up from the minors, it probably needs to be Luke and Baker. Because what we're watching might not be real. 
it, it might be a complete mirage of a guy that is 26 years old and will eventually amount to very little in the big leagues. This is not a shot against Luke and Baker. It's just the truth of what he is as a prospect. He's really not a prospect. He's 6'4", 280 pounds, and is a power hitter. Well, right now, he's hitting for power. And for the Cardinals, do they just need to catch lightning in a bottle? Because Nolan Arnato is not hitting for power. You're not getting anything out of Tyler O'Neill. Your DH spot on too many days right now is just a rotating cast of characters of guys that aren't performing. Honestly, right now, Nolan Arenado should not be hitting as your DH. When he's off in the field, he should be just getting an off day. So go to Luke and Baker in those spots instead. See if you're able to capture lightning in a bottle. See if he can be a guy that is pinch hitting for you late in a game as a right-handed hitter. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, all right, then you send him back down. No harm, no foul. You bring up the next guy. You know who Luke and Baker is? He's Patrick Wisdom. Sure. Patrick Wisdom was doing this in Memphis when he was 26 years old, 288 batting average. He had 15 home runs and 61 RBIs. They called him up. He hit 260 in 32 games with four home runs and 10 RBIs. Then, of course, they you know moved on from him and he goes elsewhere and has some success. But that's who Luke and Baker is. Now, at least Wisdom had a spot at the time. You really didn't have a clear-cut third baseman because you were really in a bad spot overall with your in- defense. But play the bat. I don't care about the position. Play the bat. And Come. that could be it. Coming up next, let's get back to the Cardinals pitching woes because yesterday oh, Jack man. Flaherty had some strong comments on their issues with two strikes and counts. He seemed to imply that this could be really related to a couple of changes that were made in the offseason. We'll talk about that, what it means in the big picture coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Like, you know, 2 1 hit, bad, bad count, falling behind, whatnot. You know, even if I fell behind, got back in the count, you know, make pitches, get the two strikes, and then um, two balls hit hard. Uh, and that's frustrating. That's, you know, that's our whole staff just throwing pitches that don't make sense. Is that a strategy thing or a location or pitch selection? Not executing, poor pitch selection, a whole bunch of things that you could wrap it all into one that kind of went into today. Just, but, you know, there's some bad execution, some balls over the middle of the plate with two strikes, a whole bunch of pitches that you want back, but you just you take it, move on, there's the next one. That was Jack Flaherty after the game last night alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Jack was frustrated, justifiably so. Really, frustrated in himself would be my assumption. He didn't pitch well. He didn't have command of his fastball, and we've seen so far this year, when he doesn't have command of his fastball, everything else falls apart quickly. And yesterday, he was only able to get them through two and a third, gave up nine hits, one walk, a home run, and 10 earned runs in two and a third innings. A non-competitive start for Jack Flaherty yesterday. Many of those hits coming with two strikes. And guys, I'm honestly like getting frustrated and getting tired of talking about these struggles for the Cardinals, but they keep showing up, and so we keep having to discuss them. This comes from John Denton, who wrote about it earlier today. The Cardinals rank last in Major League Baseball in two-strike average against at 220. Home runs allowed with two strikes in the count, 19 so far this year. Nine St. Louis pitchers have allowed a two-strike home run this year. Steven Matz has allowed five of them. Jake Woodford has allowed four. Miles Michaelis has allowed three. And Jack Flaherty 
has allowed two. Alex, when I look at the two strike counts, I don't know where to place the blame for this. Or if it just happens to be this thing where like, hey, a lot of damage is happening in every count and we focus on two strikes because that's one where you're supposed to be able to get out of it. Here's what Jack Flaherty said when he was asked about what's going on here. Ben Fredrickson is going to start with the question. I think it's important to have that as context. Jack, you guys have a new catcher. You have new voices at pitching coach. Is this more about, you think staff fight is about everybody trying to find the same page? Or just I mean, about I, know you're get, I know what you're getting at, but I'm not we, just gotta, we just got to do a better job executing, as myself included. Um, I mean, I just saw they had like eight or nine hits off of me with two strikes, so it's just, he's got to do a better job executing. It's regardless of what you throw, what not, if you execute, you're going to win. And if you don't, get a day like today. So he earlier in the interview insinuated that, hey, this is a whole staff issue that we're having, as we just demonstrated by the numbers. It's true. The entire Cardinals pitching staff is having issues with two strikes. And he brought up the idea of like the pitches that they're throwing right now are crap. None of it's working. And some of that comes down to pitch selection. Some of that comes down to pitch location. Some of that just comes down to, in general, executing what the game plan is. He not so subtly implied that whether it's the pitches that are being called by the catcher or the game plan in general is coming into question for the Cardinals. Alex, when I hear that, I think it's an excuse. I understand if you're somebody that is in the Cardinal or that is a Cardinals fan and you hear it and you hear it as an explanation. I hear it as an excuse. I think the Cardinals pitchers just haven't been good enough. I think Steven Matz has been terrible so far this year. Two strike, one strike, no strike. It doesn't matter. He's been bad. And when he's getting to two strikes, he's getting burnt because he's getting burned in every count right now. Jake Woodford has been bad this year. He's second on the team and home runs allowed and two strike counts. Miles Michaelis has been good in half of his starts and terrible in half of his starts. Guess what? He's third in line in terms of the struggles with two strike counts. And then there's Jack Flaherty, who in some games has been awesome. And in other games, much like Miles Michaelis, has been one of the worst starters that you could ask for in Major League Baseball. I don't think that's because of Wilson Contreras. I don't think that's because of Dusty Blake. I think it's because these guys are really struggling right now and they're not executing the pitches that are being called. That's not on Wilson. That's not on Dusty Blake. At some point, the pitchers have to take ownership of their own struggles. And I think that's, for me at least, my explanation on this. Where do you come out? That was the first thing I thought of when we started this topic. It's like, who's to blame for this? Well, it's the pitchers not executing the pitches. I've seen so many people on our text line, on social media saying, oh, Wilson Contreras is trash behind the plate. No, according to baseball prospectus, he's actually been above average in terms of framing pitches and how he's been approaching pitch calling with pitchers. So cross that one off of the list. Oh, and also, if we're going to blame Wilson Contreras, what about the starts where the pitchers have actually pitched well with the strikeouts and keeping the numbers down? Is that just because Wilson Contreras is not calling the game uh, improperly? I, I view it as a pitcher problem, and especially now with PitchCon, where like you can wave off a pitcher as much as you want wherever you want in these specific games. So. This is on the pitchers in terms of executing their pitches. And by no means am I sitting here saying like, oh, well, they're bad at their job. Like, I can't do that. I don't know what they're trying to approach with this. But I can say if you're a pitcher and you know that the game plan is not working, then go with something else. If you know that your fastball is getting crushed with two strikes and you're in a tight spot and your best pitch is something else, then go with your best pitch. There's no reason that's saying you have to go with what everyone's telling you to go with. So, yeah, I, I just view that as an excuse. And this is what I mentioned in the opening of the show. As soon as you start 
pointing fingers. And I know he's not pointing at anybody specifically, but for him to say that basically, yeah, our whole staff is having issues right now, that's a problem. When you start looking elsewhere for why things are going poorly, that's when things are really bad. Yeah, this was the first time this year we've seen the first finger point of the season of, hey, this is, this is, it's, it's, it's my fault, but it's also part of my fault because I'm having bad preparation or they're not calling the right things for me. But I, I will say this, I, I'm not going to say it's not on the pitchers. I think it's probably 80% on execution from the St. Louis Cardinals pitchers. I do think there is something on the game calling from Wilson Contreras, and I do think there is something on the preparation of Dusty Blake. And I'm not saying it's like a massive chunk of the pie, but I don't think they should just walk free and it be, eh, the pitchers aren't executing. No, I, I do think there is something to some of the sequencing that the Cardinals have called behind the plate with Wilson Contreras has been a little off this year in terms of the willingness to go to the breaking ball. It feels like he's called that a lot when they get t- closer towards two strikes. Like, look at the Helsley at bat in San Francisco. Look at the uh, Jordan Hicks at bat against McCutcheon against Pittsburgh earlier in the year, going all to the breaking stuff. I, I think part of that is on Contreras, and I think part of the reason Contreras calls it that way is I think he's getting that information from Dusty Blake. So I, I think it is mostly on, yes, the Cardinals pitchers are not executing. I would say 80 to 90% of the uh, pie chart that we're going to put this blame on in two strikes belongs to them. But I do think there is a chunk of that percentage that does need to go towards Contreras and Dusty Blake, the pitching coach, and honestly the coaching staff and how they're prepping for these kind of games. The The place where I would push back a bit is like, I understand there are individual circumstances in which we can point to that. I'm totally with you. Like there have been times where I think whether it's Ryan Helsley with his slider, that might've also been by the way, a Ryan Helsley thing where he didn't feel comfortable with his fastball and that at bat. We don't know the answer to that question. Or there have been times where with Jordan Hicks, where he throws the same pitch over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, even if he doesn't have feel for that pitch, or there have been times with some of the starters where they do something similar. What I would also point to is, Man, this bullpen's been really good so far this year. And so it's hard for me to look at the bullpen and say, hey, the vast majority of those guys have been having success, including Jordan Hicks lately, by the way, who has completely turned it around. And it's with the same guy behind the plate. It's with the same pitching coach. He has made clear adjustments in the way that he is getting ready for these games, Um, whether it's him or if it's uh, Zuniga, who immediately came up and like it didn't seem like he had any issues with pitch selection. He was awesome in that game for them. Or Hennessy Cabrera, who, as you've noted, T-Bone, is going to that slider more often and while it's hurt some of them, it has helped Hennessy Cabrera to go to a pitch that he has recently developed. And while Giovanni Gallegos, yes, had a really bad night the other night, a bad moment for him, a couple of moments, really. He's been excellent for the vast majority of the season. So I'm watching these bullpen guys come out and shove and do their jobs. And the starters who we all had questions about coming into the season are not doing the same thing with the same pitching coach and the same catcher behind the plate. It's hard for me to say, okay, it doesn't matter for those bullpen arms, but it does matter for the starters. I I can't do that. Well, it's the same way as I look at it. It's like, sure, like, yeah, that was a bad game for Jack Flaherty. But what about the game against Milwaukee? What about the game against Colorado where he pitched well? And Contreras was behind the plate in both of those games. So did Contreras just call a better game there? No, you executed your pitches there better than what you did against the Angels. The Angels saw those pitches coming and smashed them. I, I, I... I understand what you're saying. I think it's a very good point and a very fair point. I do think it is a tougher job to call a game with a starting pitcher than a reliever because what do relievers have? Really two pitches. It's really like Helsley, for example. He's got a fastball and a slider. If he throws a changeup, I think it's probably the ball slipped and it's an accident and they just read it wrong with baseball savant. With all these other guys, they've got different pitches. I mean, I look at Jack Flaherty's baseball savant page in his start. He's throwing a fastball, he's throwing a cutter, he's throwing a curveball, and he's throwing a slider. 
And again, I'm not trying to say the pitchers don't deserve the bl- all or a big chunk of the blame. They do. I, I think it is a lot of they are not executing. But I do think the sequencing has been off with the starting pitching at times this year. It's where they are calling. It just feels weird to me sometimes of the game calling. And we've seen it. The examples I brought up were the bullpen with Hicks and Helsley. But I do feel like there is something to it in terms of the sequencing has felt off a little bit. I, I don't know if it's like a lot to where I can look at and go, the rotation went from being an okay rotation to an awful rotation because of pitch sequencing. I don't think that's the case. But I do think there is a chunk of that pie chart that of blame for what's gone wrong does belong on Contreras and the pitching coach, Dusty Blake. And not just Contreras, Contreras slash Kisner as well. I'm not going to like sit here and say, oh, Kisner calls a better game. I can tr- Trust me, he does not call much better of a game than Wilson Contreras. All right, we do have some news to pass along. This comes from Katie Wu. She says, uh, based on what she's hearing, she expects the Cardinals to call up Juan Yepes today ahead of their three-game series against the Tigers. We've heard something similar, so uh, that makes a lot of sense. She said the corresponding move is yet to be announced. John Denton following up on that, saying, based on a variety of events witnessed on Thursday, reckless speculation by me, he saw him packing up. I wouldn't be shocked if outfielder Alec Burleson is optioned to AAA today. It is a fluid situation. There will almost certainly be Cardinals roster moves coming within the next few hours. So stay tuned. Man, I, I'll i say this. If there was an outfielder that needed to be optioned down, I would have personally gone with Tyler O'Neill. I understand why they're not. They're probably saying there's nothing to be gained by sending Tyler O'Neill down. He's either going to get it worked out or he's not at the big league level, and it's time for us to find out. And defensively, he's better than Alec Burleson. Even if I think the over, the defensive liability with Alec Burleson in the outfields is a little overstated, he's definitely not as good out there in left field as Tyler O'Neill is. So I understand that. But to me, I would have gone Tyler O'Neill because he's gotten an extended run here, and it has not worked. I also think it's worth having that lefty bat with Alec Burleson coming off of the bench. Personally, that's that's my own opinion on it. But it sounds like that is likely to be the moves. Juan Yepes up, Alec Burleson down. I would be shocked if there aren't more coming. But what is your guys' first reactions to those? Makes sense. Uh, I mean, it sucks to see Alec Burleson go because he was one of the productive hitters. Uh, surprise, surprise. I think the guy that should be going down here is Taylor Motter instead of Juan Yepes. But... To move Alec Burleson, it creates more of an opportunity for Juan Yepes. And maybe the Cardinals view this as, yeah, we kind of know what Alec Burleson is. Let's see if Juan Yepes can provide more of a spark. It's hard for me to be upset with the roster move because they're actually doing something, which is what we've been asking for. But I'm kind of on the same page as BK. I would much rather it be just Tyler O'Neill goes down and you stick with Alec Burleson. Because, again, Tyler O'Neill, I understand. I, I think your point is valid. I think what they are going to say is he's got nothing left to prove in AAA. My opinion, he's got nothing left to prove in the majors. I know what Tyler O'Neill is. Yeah, somebody just Alec said Burleson, that- to me, doesn't have anything to prove in AAA either. I think where I need to figure out what Alec Burleson is is at the major league level. So I would have much rather seen Burleson up here figure out something to do with, whether it be O'Neill or – I don't think they would have done Carlson because he's been playing better of late. But O'Neill would have been the guy that I would have sent down. I do think Modder's going to be DFA today. I mean, I know you just mentioned maybe send him down. I think that's coming. There's got to be another corresponding. There's going to be another move, I think. This isn't the only one. Well, someone said that you can't send O'Neill down because you further destroy trade value. He doesn't have trade value right now. Also, it, it, like people see that he's struggling right now, whether he's in AAA struggling or in the in the major struggling. Yeah, it doesn't it, matter. And somebody else asked, do they even have options remaining on Tyler O'Neill? They yeah. do. They, you, you have to have five years of service time before uh, you no longer have options available. Tyler O'Neill is just over four years of major league service time currently. So they do have options available on him if they would like to use them um we'll see 
We'll see what ends up coming over the next few hours. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So this is once again, I want to be very clear up front. This is not a political stance, but things are changing a little bit in terms of what you can and cannot sell here in, in the state of Missouri, right? Okay, There's that's not a good start marijuana to a law, laws that have been a little bit lax. And so I bring that as the backdrop to a story that I find to be a little interesting. Okay. A gentleman in Canada decided to open a new store. Selling heroin, meth, cocaine, and MDMA. Well, that's not a good start. I don't even know what that last one is. (laughs) The reason I bring this up is because you may be shocked to learn. 24 hours later, he was arrested. I'm surprised it took 24 hours to arrest that man. Can you imagine the gall that you must have to open up a new store and say, you know what we're selling? It like there is a heroin. There is a sign outside the door. That shows what they sell, and it shows cocaine, crack cocaine, heroin, MDMA. What are you doing, man? <laughs> like this would be like me and you going down onto the street and slinging slinging drugs off the side with a sandwich. What are those sandwich things? The the boards that they have on yeah. that the you spin can wear? boards. Oh yeah, <laughs> those are awesome. Where you just flip a sign over and over that says crack cocaine. Oh, yeah, I have never seen anything like this. This is unbelievable. Yeah, that's man. Uh, that's got some massive cojones to just sit there and say, you know what we, you know what our our area is missing, heroin. Need <laughs> to start dealing some heroin. What are you doing, man? I, I, again, I'm more impressed that it took 24 hours for that person to get arrested. Oh, I think it took 24 hours because someone probably brought that to the police, the authorities, and was the like, the police, the police, <laughs> the police. They, they brought it. They're to called them. Mounties, sir. <laughs> Sorry, they brought it to him and they went, that can't be true. It can't be a real thing. They had no thought like, hey, this is a prank call. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. How about as soon as the neon sign that said open turned on and the door said we sell crack, cocaine, and heroin, someone should have probably walked in and said, yeah, man, you're under arrest. I can't believe they got to the point where, like, I would have to imagine it took a while to open this store, right? You can't just, like, move into a store and that day start selling anything like shoes much less drugs from the inside of a a storefront how do you get a business license for this unbelievable look i I need a i need a loan to open up a business all right so yeah sure what's the business you're looking for i'm gonna sell i'm gonna sell heroin yeah we'll approve that sure (laughs) here you go here's five hundred thousand dollars good luck i can't believe this was possible much less that it lasted a full 24 hours so uh that gentleman has since been arrested he is in jail where he should be because he's Uh, amazing Uh, forget anything else just he is there was a stupid test and he failed it coming up next if you had to pick one player that you think will rebound from their slow start this year on the cardinals who would you go with We'll give you our suggestions. You can give us yours. 314-399-9646. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So the shows have been a little bit negative lately, I would say. A little bit? Yeah. I think it's fair to say that uh, it's taken on a bit of a negative vibe How long here. has it been since they won a series? I have no idea. I'm going to be honest with you when I say this. I don't know. Um, it's been since Colorado. Colorado. April 11th and 12th. That was the last time that this team won back-to-back games. Um, we and are it is the only time this year since the opening series that they have won a series. So right. they've won two series this year, one on April 1st and 2nd. Now I understand why it's so negative. The other on April 11th and 12th. They are 3-13 and 13 in their last 16 hey, games. But I'm sure BK's got numbers to back up why yeah. this is going to turn we're, around, we're right? We're all going to look back on this in two months yeah. and say, remember how much it's fun we had? You know what's funny? So I was looking this up the other day. The offensive numbers still aren't that bad, guys. <laughs> Good thing we got Taylor Potter. Well, yeah. The, the bullpen numbers still not that bad, guys. Yeah, that's like true. Middle of the pack. How about those lefties? Percentage in baseball? How about those lefties in oh, the bullpen? They're good, too. Jordan Montgomery. Hey. hey. Miles Michaelis' last two starts. Yeah. yeah. Jake Woodford's no longer in the rotation. Tomorrow. I'm gonna hold my results on that. <laughs> I love how, Alex, I love how Alex was like. Alex was like, I'm getting rid of somebody because like we're adding a 41 year old to the rotation. But that velocity. Right. Don't doubt him though. I feel bad. Nolan Gorman has been really good this year. Well, he had like a four day stretch now, where it wasn't. Good. Yeah, but he's been carrying this entire team, and now his back is fatigued. Yeah. Yeah. Wilson Contreras has been every bit as good as expected. Yeah, but he doesn't frame pitch as well. Paul Goldschmidt is still batting three. He almost has a 300, 400, 500 batting line. He has the, the second most wow. hard hit ball rates in Major League Baseball yeah. behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So I say all that to say this. Not Sunshine, all bad. Lollipops and rainbows. But it's mostly bad, though. So let's get the, can we get those doom and gloom uh, yeah, yeah, thunder strike or lightning <laughs> strikes? That's Talter has. <laughs> the reason I bring this up is because. I do think it's fair to say that some of the guys that have struggled this season will find a way to get back on track. And so I wanted to ask you, Alex, you, T-Bone, and you, the audience, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to give your suggestion. Who do you think has struggled to start the season and will get it back on track? Like here within the next month or so, we'll be talking about, man, you remember when that guy was really going through it. Who would be your nominee, Alex? Is the guy that's been struggling so far that's going to end up being fine? I, I mean, mine has to be what everyone else is thinking in the obvious one, Nolan Arenado. I just don't... I, I understand that he is just going through it, but Nolan Arenado is not this guy. Nolan Arenado is... I mean, he just doesn't look comfortable at third base, too. Like, he looks like he is just in his own world these days. So my nominee would be, of course, Mr. 95% himself, Nolan Arenado. I I would go with Brendan Donovan. I, I huh. he's the one that I'm I'm I I don't know if I'm confident, but I think he's going to turn things around. I I look at Donovan like last year, his, his batter's eye was just incredible, almost a 400 on base percentage. That doesn't disappear. Like that just doesn't vanish. I'm that, mad that you took mine, but there there, there are guys, there are, there are things like power can disappear. You know, hitting for average can disappear, uh, but. A batter's eye genuinely doesn't go when you're the age of 26. Yeah, but you can't get better if you don't play. And Paul DeYoung just well, wally that, pipped him. That's the problem. That's why it. That's why it's frustrating for Brendan Donovan. I would Potter's imagine more at bats than frustrating him. here is they basically bench Donovan for his struggles, and I don't think that's what they should have done. I think there's. I think he's one of those guys that should continue to be out there playing and trying to work through these struggles. And now I don't know if the power that we saw in spring training is going to come back and translate. I, I think maybe that's what happened was he's like, I'm going to start swinging for power, kind of lost himself a little bit, and now he's trying to refigure it out. I think if he gets back to the guy he was last year where 
he's getting on base at a really high clip and hitting for average and hitting line drives rather than trying to lift the ball, I think you'll see Donovan get back to playing the way he does because defensively he's been good at every position. He's made great plays at first. He's made great plays at third. He's been awesome at second. Hell, he made a great play in left field early on in the year. Like He's the guy for me that I think is going to turn this around. Do you know how many errors last season Tommy Edmond had for the entirety of the year? I want to say zero. (laughs) I don't remember him having an error. Yeah, it's hard to point. I would say probably like two. It was it, it was higher than what you guys are suggesting right now. It was six, but it wasn't. <sighs> He's awful. It wasn't a whole lot. Like his his fielding percentages were remarkably good. You know how many errors he has so far this year? And I I think errors are a flawed statistic because it it's really about the balls that you don't get to and the close plays that you aren't able to make that don't end up going down five. as errors. But just as a as a reference point, five. Say minimum he's got two. So I'll go higher. I'll go. I'd say five as well. It's four. It's four on the season. He has four errors already, and we are he's 30 games into his 2023 Major League season. He just hasn't been the same player defensively this year, and it's strange. And I don't think it's because he's moving from second to short because we saw him do the exact same thing last year for a decent portion of the season. He ended up playing 80 games at shortstop last year and 89 games at second base last year. So it's not about that. It's just something's off defensively with him and so if I was going to say there's one thing that will get back to form this year it's not on the hitting side of things but I think Tommy Edmonds defense is just going to be better than it has been to start out the season I I think he's been like a below average defender is that fair to say especially relative to expectations this year it's weird though because like I feel like I'd say that at his at his second base position at shortstop I think he's been above average when he's played there Outs above average. I, I had not looked this up. I was curious what it would look like. 13th percentile. So basically 87% of major leaguers have been better defensively. According to outs above average, it's a flawed statistic, but it's one that we've got um, so far this season. His arm strength is down a decent amount from last year as well. Like it's been, it's been weird. I think that will start to correct itself. I, I think Tommy Edmonds going to be fine defensively. I'm with you, T-Bone. The one that I was going to go with was Brendan Donovan. I think he's going to start walking again at a rate that we saw from him last year, maybe a little lower because that was unsustainable. But I think Brendan Donovan will finish the season with an on-base percentage of like 350 or better. Right now he's at 300. I don't think he just suddenly becomes a guy that strikes out a bunch and doesn't walk the way that he did last year. I I don't think this is real. Now, here's a question that's probably a troubling question because I think there's going to be an answer that just isn't what you'd like to hear as a Cardinals fan. Is there a pitcher that is struggling you see turning it around dude i tried to find somebody would you accept miles michaelis as an answer to that because no, I, I think he's already done it i think so too so who would be my options give me my options and then i'll give you my answer. your options hold on we need a sound effect your options for the cardinals pitching to turn it around are jack flaherty no god no, no. not Jake after that woodford no no he's, he's going not, down he's going to be here uh, Sugar, I guess we're going down swinging. <laughs> <laughs> we're going down, uh, down. Ryan Helsley, I think, should belong in this category. I, like he's had an yeah. one. I think Ryan Helsley's going to be fine. I don't. All right. <laughs> uh, give me the lightning bolts. Cue it up. All right. Drew Verhagen. Uh, give me the lightning bolts. <laughs> Hold on. It's going. Let it go. Let him cook. Uh, yeah, probably about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm out on all of those. Yeah. Yeah. Steven Matz? Did we mention Matz? Oh, oh, God. Hit the lightning bolt. <laughs> what about Gallegos? He's not really strong. He's been good. He's he born bad night. Oh, okay. Did we not see that Angels Palante game? Palante when yeah, he comes back? back? No, he won't be back. Oh. Jordan Hicks? 
No, he's fixed. Hicks is fi- he's fixed. His, he's numbers aren't, his, numbers, his numbers aren't good, but he's fixed. Cue the lightning when you say somebody's fixed. Yeah. You hear that coming? How do you guys feel about Dylan Carlson? Broken. Well, he's already fixed. <laughs> Thunderbolt. He's already fixed. He's yeah, there these. you go. He can only hit lefties. He's already fixed. I, I can describe Dylan Carlson with our sound effects right here, okay? So, like, there's a, there's a lefty in the game. It's Dylan Carlson time. Yeah, he's going to hit the ball. It's going to be great. We're going to have a bunch of fun. Oh, when a righty comes into the game, like, the music generally stops like that, and it's just... Another one. Uh, yeah. Option C. He's in there defensively in center field for us. And... Uh, Come on. At this point, I'd like to see some offense rather than just going, hey. What about Tyler O'Neill? We're trying to be positive here. Give me oh, the sunshine. Sorry, sorry. I didn't realize what we were going for there. Thank you. Thank you. That's better. You can't force the sunshine on us. Dylan Carlson in center field defensively. Lars Newbar in right. And Tyler O'Neill in left. Best. Oh, God. <laughs> hit the lightning. <laughs> it's defense. We're talking I don't defense care. Wanya Pez in left. Hit the lightning. So here's a question for you guys. As we continue down the uh, the positive vibes. Luke and Baker in right field, huh? No, no, no. Can he play no, the outfield? No. No, he can't. <laughs> no. If, if, if we just said, you know what? We're going defense. Like, the offense stinks. Mitchy staff is pitching to contact. So we're only like going to win games when it's one nothing. Oh, we're doing yeah. the 46 Bears, but baseball style? Yeah. It, oh, cool. The 46 so, Bears? Wasn't that their defense? 85 Bears? You were Dude, really close. 46? Man. That was their formation. Was 46. What? <laughs> The 46 defense? What the yeah, hell the is a 46? Ah, man, I messed it up. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we got him. We got him. If it. you were just to set the Cardinals' best lineup defensively to help out this Ooh, pitching okay. staff. This will be fun. All right. Um, God, man, our so third base bad. and first base, we were pretty set. Um, I would say... Taylor Motter at third, of Taylor course. Taylor Motter at third. Luke and Baker at first. <laughs> I was going one. Yeah, no, okay, that's better. good. <laughs> Maybe Jose Martinez can come out of retirement for them. I no, would but say in all seriousness, Arnado, Arnado, Arnado Goldschmidt. I, I think it would be Tommy Edmond at short and Brennan Donovan at second. See, I and I know the numbers are bad on Edmond. I would go DeYoung at short, and I would go Edmond at second. I just think I, Tommy I still, Edmond's a better athlete at shortstop. I think the defensive walls are just weird i think it's fluky i i think his best position still is second base and i know like when you look at the numbers it hasn't been great i think it's fluky i mean it'd be wilson Contreras behind the plate yeah i'm not putting anybody else back there if we're going best defense and then the outfield would be 57 year old yadier molina really yeah on one knee well he's got to leave though for a weekend to check (laughs) out he can smoke a cigarette the entire game whoa (laughs) (laughs) smoke maybe fives up the (laughs) eyes of the hitter basically give me the the jim leland look could you you imagine just a catcher and puffs of smoke coming out of his mask yes i can um, <laughs> i want not not only can i i want to yeah. carlson in center o'neill in left and newt bar in right that's your best defense yeah who's your dh i know Does that, that doesn't matter? impact the defense but you know we're talking defense yes. right now right it, shohei otani would gorman. be your best dh gorman would be my dh yeah what Gorman's about tonight against matthew boyd taylor Motter, obviously Juan Yepes, he's getting called up I so, so i'd go Juan Yepes at dh taylor i think that's what third. they're gonna do like, I, I think that the Cardinals are going to say, because we've heard, I can't, decide, I can't remember if it was Michael Gersh who said this. I think it might have been. At some point, you got to be good at something. This team's not good at anything, guys. We talk about it all the time, how they're just, they're bad in every aspect of the game. They're not good defensively. They can't pitch. They can't hit in especially certain situations. They're just, they're bad at everything right now. 
Are you supposed to be pumping us up right now for this game? <laughs> give me the lightning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, do you want sunshines and lollipops? So now give me the sunshine and lollipops. Hold on, I'm okay. so confused. They, they, they do have the personnel to be good defensively. They do. Now, it might be bad offensively, but tonight, especially against a left-handed starter, like, put Tommy Edmond out there at second base. Yeah. Go ahead and go with Paul DeYoung at short. Yeah. Put Tyler O'Neill in left, Dylan Carlson in center, Lars Newbar in right. You're going to be better defensively that way. And it's going to help your pitching staff if you just settle things down defensively. This is the first thing that Mike Schilt did. I'll give him credit. First thing he did when he got the job in St. Louis was said, we're going to be better defensively. We're going to run the bases. All right, let's clean clean things up there. And then we'll work from there. That is our starting point is just playing good, clean, family fun, fundamental baseball. And then if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. <laughs> then we got Luke and Baker at first. We're throwing Nolan Gorman into the outfield. Like, then we go to the island of Misfit T. Bone, you want me to cue the music here? Oh, I had it ready. <laughs> <laughs> I had the song ready to go. Yeah, go, go with Tanner's. Here's <laughs> is coming through the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can we do without? Yeah. Can you hear it? Alex, yeah, mine's better. I had it ready to go. I didn't know we were going to move on from somebody. You know somebody. better than one Bolton? I, I'm not going to lie. I had this song ready for when the news of Modder getting DFA'd was announced. I thought you were going to do it for the news when there were no roster no, moves give, give coming. give me the sunshine and lollipops whenever he's DFA'd. <laughs> coming up oh, come next. on. I'm picking up good vibrations. <laughs> God, this team's bad. The path for the Cardinals to get back on track. In recent years, it's been pretty clear. Hey, at least the division's bad. Oh, great. At least we got the second half of the season. Joel Sherman's going to play the uh, the thunder and lightning for you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. What would need to change for you to buy back into the St. Louis Cardinals? Obviously winning is a part of that conversation. But beyond that, like what do you need to see for this team for you to buy back in? We did this a lot, Alex, with the Blues, where theirs, theirs was more of a roller coaster ride. The Blues would lose seven straight and then they'd win seven and then they'd lose oh, yeah. four and then they'd win two. And it was like up and down and up and down. And the valleys were really low and the peaks got pretty high at times. Yeah, this roller coaster has lost all of its wheels. Yeah, there's nothing fun. This about is just this. steel on steel right now. Nothing's going anywhere. It's it's been brutal. And there's that. I think that's what's most frustrating if you're a fan right now is that you're getting all of the bad without any of the good. And one of my favorite things about the baseball season is that typically you can ride those highs and lows, right? You you ride them with the team. And so you get an emotional roller coaster throughout the season. There's been none of that. And when you're playing 162 and you get this bad this quick, it can completely take the sail out or the the wind out of your sails and you're just done. Before you even get to the month of June, the calendar gets to June. You're like, yeah, my team stinks. They're out of it. There's no reason for me to invest my time in these games anymore. Trust me, as somebody who grew up in Kansas City and watched a whole lot of Royals baseball, I saw a lot of teams that were done by the time that we got to the month of June. It sucks. It is not a fun way to live. And so when you watch right now, there's there's a way for them to win this fan base back over. 
It's going to be really tough, but we mentioned this earlier today. There have been 133 teams over the last 30 seasons that started as bad or worse than the Cardinals. Of those 133, nine of them finished above 500, and three of them ended up making the playoffs. One actually ended up going to the World Series, the 2005 Astros. So it has been done before. The odds are against it, but it has happened what would need to take place in order for you to get back on board with this team? That's I, the question for the mic drop. I mean, realistically for me, I'm going to have to see a consistent stretch of strong, frankly, for lack of a better phrase, Cardinals baseball, where the fundamentals are spot on. And I'm not talking about one game where you win a game and you're thinking, oh, there you go, because we know how this works. The next couple are going to be a disaster. I'm thinking you're probably going to have to go on a stretch of three, four, five games in a row. Even if you lose one or two of them, the fundamentals are all there where the defense is tight. The pitching is locating their pitches and their command is strong. And you got a little energy from the roster. I'm going to have to see a stretch of games in that sense. So that's what Alex needs to see. We want to hear from you as well. The mic drop feature is on the 101 ESPN app. Somebody on the text line said, guys, if they get back to 500, I'll start buying back in at the um, all-star break. They're at 500 by the all-star break. I'll start buying back in. In recent years, I think that would be good enough. But Joel Sherman mentioned this on MLB Network the other day. It offers a little bit of a different perspective on how difficult it's going to be for the Cardinals to make a run like they did in 2021, where you had that 17-game winning streak to get back into things. The Cardinals are 10-19 and and minus 13 in run differential, and they just completed the worst West Coast trip in their history of at least 10 games. They were 2-8, and and they have their worst 29-game record since 1973. St. Louis, though, has been a terrific second-half team right throughout. They've made the playoffs these last five years. Look at these numbers. 508 winning percentage in the first half, 13th best, 624 in the second half. But a lot of that has been fed by playing in a weak NL Central. Last year, for example, the Cardinals were 38-19 against the Cubs, the Pirates, and the Reds. A lot of those games in the second half of the season when they were able to make their run to win the division. With a balanced schedule now, you eliminate two of those series. Plus, maybe the Cubs and Pirates are a lot better. And oh yeah, the Cardinal rotation is a worry and their defense is down at least a grade from last year. So I think this is an important clarification here. Starting in August 17th, so mid-August, Alex, this is who the Cardinals play down the stretch. New York, Pittsburgh, who I would have thought would have been an easy uh, easy team to play. but New it, York's easier team for them. Yeah. Um, the, the Pittsburgh Pirates, Philly, San Diego, Pittsburgh again, Atlanta. Then you do have a series against Cincinnati, who's probably going to sell off pieces again. They're no good. But then Baltimore, Philly, Milwaukee, San Diego, Milwaukee, and then finally you finish off the season against Cincinnati. That is not a cakewalk the way that it has been in previous years once you get into mid-August. There's series that, yeah, you could take advantage of, but the Cardinals are going to be tested down the stretch this year in a way that they haven't been at times in previous seasons, especially because you had typically three teams over the last few years in the NL Central that sold off pieces at the deadline and were bad teams before the deadline and then became terrible teams after the trade deadline. Does that change at all? what they need to do before the break for you, Alex, to be able to buy back in? Does it make it like a higher threshold in yeah, your mind? Probably. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm just so torn with this one. To me, it's not so much record as it is keeping pace with the teams in the NL Central. Because I don't See, think I was the NL Central. the eye test. 
that's fair too. I think the I think eye test record and where you're at in the standings are all going are kind of molded yeah, together. Yeah, I guess that's true. Because though the NL Central, when you look at it now, you're in last place and you're what ten games back of Pittsburgh, who's sitting in first place. Guys, the NL Central is not playing well right now as a collective group. Chicago just got swept by the Nationals. The Reds are already bad. Lost two or three to San Diego. The Cubs just got, or I just said the Cubs. The Pittsburgh Pirates got swept by Tampa Bay. Milwaukee got swept in Colorado. Hey, the Cardinals could at least take two or three from Colorado. So uh, I, I look at it. To me, it is more of the eye test. And are they pitching better? Is the offense coming through when they get runners in scoring position? Hell, even when the bases are loaded. And are they playing better defensively? So, yes, the eye test is going to be key. But can you keep pace in the NL Central? That's the big thing because I think they've already dug themselves a big hole in the NL Central of can they win the division now? It's going to be really tough. Once you fall 10 games back, it is going to be difficult. There's no, like, set number for me. It is just keep pace. Can you get back within, like, say, five games? If it's six or seven, I'll be judging it by how are they playing compared to what Pittsburgh's doing. That's how I'm going to be looking at See, it. See, I've already written off the NL Central crown. Like, I, I just, it's going to be very difficult for you to leapfrog. And I know Cincinnati's trash, but it's going to be difficult for you to leapfrog the other three teams in the NL Central. <laughs> but the eye test for me, and I've seen a ton of people say it doesn't matter if they play fundamental baseball, if they keep losing. I, I need to see some life from this team. If I can see, like, a stretch of games where this team doesn't look like they're expecting to lose by the fourth inning, then I'm going to feel a little bit better about them. It's about the vibes, man. Sometimes when you walk into a restaurant, you're like, man, this is a bummer. I just, it feels like a cafeteria. You're not really feeling it, right? I'm a big food guy. So um, when you walk into another restaurant, though, you walk in and the moment that you get there, you're like, hey, this is pretty cool. I like I like the way that it feels. It just, it puts you at ease. You feel like you're walking into a certain time or space. And you're like, ah, oh, yeah. I'm into this. Every this is, place this on fun. the hill for me. It's yeah, just, exactly. You just described it. It just puts you into the right mindset to eat the meal that's about to be presented to you, right? Mm-hmm. And even if the meal is like a 7 out of 10, the atmosphere can make it uh, an 8 or a 9 out of 10, right? It can elevate the experience of what you're having. The service can elevate the experience of what you're having. That's kind of, I say all of that, say this. The Cardinals right now, the vibes are bad and the product is bad. So you walk into the restaurant and the restaurant's just got like, uh, there's tables that haven't been cleaned yet. Uh, the servers are angry that they have to be there to be a part of the job. The uh, prices are way oversold. And then the meal itself was no good. And you leave and you're like, I'm never going back to that place again. There's no reason for me to do that. So it's, it's got everything that you don't want. And that's what's being served to you on a poo-poo platter right now with the St. Louis Cardinals teams. So, yeah, if you just get a team that's got a little better vibes around it, that it does sometimes go a long way. And it helps the players, man. Helps them want to show up to the field every day. You know what the problem with this, too? Like, every time I hear somebody, and Joel Sherman said it, like, they're, they're, they're uh, statistically a second-half team. That's great. But you go on a run in the second half, we're going to be sitting there looking at it saying, okay, but remember the first half of the season, because even if you go on a stretch of 15, 20 games, you're still going to be wondering, yeah, but where's the fall off going to come? And that's what the first half of a season can do to a team. Do you guys think that 91 gets you into the playoffs in this NL? NL Central? Like when the NL Central in the National the League, playoffs. do you think that 90 wins this year gets you into the playoffs? I'd say so. I mean, Philly won 88 last year, and that's the third wild card spot. So I'd say yes. Yeah, I would say it does. I think you're going to be talking about that last wild card team, but I'd say it gets you in. So the reason why I ask is because to do that right now, the Cardinals would have to go 80 and 50 the rest of the way. <laughs> that is a six fifteen. I say that, that's essentially winning two of three. Yeah, that's for a the six, rest of the year. So you're going to win every series essentially. It's a six fifteen winning percentage, which is a pace of winning a hundred games. 
If you had that winning percentage over the entirety of the season, you would win 100 games on the year. Uh, To put that in perspective, a team that is the closest to that winning percentage right now in all of Major League Baseball is the Pittsburgh Pirates. So you would basically play the rest of the way the way that the Pirates have for the first 32 games of the season. And even the Pirates said that this was like not possible for them to play this way. I think that the Cardinals have that in them. I know that sounds crazy to say right now, and it's going to be weird if they don't get this thing turned around now. Like, it needs to start tonight against the Detroit Tigers. Otherwise, this thing snowballs on you so much that it's like the Blues, and you you can't dig yourself out of it. Yeah, as soon as you start losing series, it's over. Like, the, the more series you lose the worse off you're going to be. That's what TLR used to always talk about. It's like, it's about winning series. I think Mike Schilt had said it too. You win series, you're going to be in a good spot. Hey, tonight, win the first game of series for the first time all, all season. Let's do that. That's a really good starting Who point. Who did I see tweet this out about Matthew Boyd? Matthew Boyd's like allowing like the second lowest hard hit rate in all of oh, baseball. Was, Denton, was yeah. that Denton that put it out really? there? Really? He's yeah. been bad. Lowest hard hit rate in the AL is Matthew Boyd second best behind Patrick Sandoval, who they just went up against with the Angels. That's really surprising because so far this season, he has not been very good. 27.3%. He's got a 5-5 ERA on the season. He's not really striking anybody out. That's interesting. That matters against this Cardinals team. No, it it doesn't. I mean, you guys remember, who was the guy they went up against in um, uh, for Atlanta? Dodd. Dodd. He got an option today. (laughs) He's pitched two games since. He started against, I think it was the uh, the Padres, I think, and was just absolutely awful against them. And then had another start, I think yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, and ended up giving up eight hits and three earned runs against wow. a terrible Miami Marlins lineup. In his defense, he did pitch against a team that statistically and historically can't hit left-handers that they've never seen before. Yeah, so uh, that's good. That that was the last guy that was kind of similar, similar vibes to what you're going to see tonight. All right, let's go to the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app to hear from Nick. What would it take for Nick to buy back in? In order for me to buy back into this Cardinals team, it's going to take a month of pretty much winning every series, hopefully a couple sweeps in there as well, so some winning streaks, and you know, eight, you know, seven or eight of the positions out in the field actually being occupied by one guy, and these guys being able to hit both sides, of, you know, hit lefties and righties. There's, you're just not going to have success when two thirds of your lineup can't hit against one, you know, a righty or a lefty, and everybody's got to play all over the place. Get some stability. See this pitching staff get some stability as well. Get back to at least their career norms, and I think I'd have a lot more faith in this team going forward because that also means that Goldie Arenado and Wilson Contreras are going to be playing at their capability, and that's going to be huge for this team. Yeah, I mean he's spot on with it. I just somebody's texting into us also and saying that we need to look at the 1964 Cardinals team. They went through the same slump and found their way to the World Series. Um, no, they didn't. And also, they even if they did, which you're, I, I haven't looked at that, but um, they they were like a few games below 500. <laughs> I mean, if you think that's a slump, and that was 35 years before me. So. And also, Bob Gibson was on that team. If you yeah, get a Bob Gibson on this team. Sure, I'll buy back in. Let me see where the worst they were that season was. They were 36 and 38. That's awful. Two games below 500 at one point. Um, Earlier on in the season, yeah, that was... That was their low point. They were two games below 500. Man, what I would do to be two games uh, below 500 say, with this You know team. what I would take for that? But again, Bob Gibson, Tim McCarver, Ken Boyer, um, Kurt Flood, Lou Brock. 
I keep going if you'd like to, but and, they don't have that roster. And and I said this yesterday: the Cardinals don't have a a stopper on the, in this rotation yeah. like that team. Who can, Bob who can stop that snowball effect from happening? Yep. Where it was, we've lost four in a row. All right, good thing Bob Gibson's taking the mound because we're not losing today. They don't have that in this rotation. Coming up next, let's have a little bit of fun. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four different options. Let's go fun, please. Do not give us Cardinals options. <laughs> we'll tell you which one's got to go next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is PK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Count that, that big pen. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for one's got to go. I appreciate you guys giving us real options Hallelujah. here. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. I'm, I'm just saying right now, we're not doing a Cardinals related one's got to go today. They're not allowed in this yeah, segment. We're having that. fun. We're in a good mood. It's a Friday. It's Cinco de Mayo. We're having a good time. Let's not talk about the Cardinals for at least the next 10 minutes. All right. One's got to go pie edition, Alex. Apple, cherry, rhubarb. Or banana cream. I don't know what the hell rhubarb is. So <laughs> yeah, I don't that sounds disgusting. Hey, Although banana rhubarb. cream, let me tell you, that sounds awful too. What? Yeah. What were the other two options? Cherry and apple. Yeah, like I'm out on all these. What? Yes. Yeah. Are you out on apple no, and only, cherry only pie? pie Are like, you American? Only pie I like chocolate pie and pumpkin pie. That's it. Really? Yeah. I don't like apple so you pie. You like the worst pie. And I like Did apples. You say chocolate but pie I can't is do disgusting. It. Get get I get them all out of here. Rhubarb though. Rhubarb. Never heard of it. What did you just call it? Rhubarb. Rhubarb. It's like yeah, rhubarb. <laughs> yeah. Get it out of here. I, I think don't that's even know a fruit, is. isn't it? Rhubarb. Ah, it's a vegetable. Is it? I think technically. No, yeah. That's even worse. It's like a veggie pie. Uh, it's a like sweet I, potato pie. I I I'm, I'm hoping that so if if it's not a vegetable and it's one of those things, it's like a tomato where it's like technically a fruit, even though it's everybody considers out. it to be a vegetable. Like, rhubarb. Don't yell at me on the text line. I'm just assuming it's a fruit. I think it's like one of those roots, basically that you can. Pick out of it's the a ground. vegetable despite its persistent use in fruit pies, jams, and don't know what coolest is. Uh, mine would also be rhubarb pie just because I've honestly never had it before. Uh, I'm not against it, but I've I am. never yeah, I'm out. had a rhubarb pie. I'm more than happy to try it, though. I don't eat down. vegetable pies. <laughs> I don't eat vegetables in general. <laughs> One's got to go movie edition. Guardians of the Galaxy, X-Men, Avengers, or The Incredibles. Which one's got to oh, go? X-Men. X-Men's got to go here. I just watched The Incredibles again for the first time in like five or six years. That movie stands up. Hilarious. Yeah, Incredibles is good. Incredibles is good. Avengers, of course, is the goat here. But uh, yeah, X-Men's got to go. Did I'm they, not a big Did X-Men. they make a second Incredibles or no? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I thought they did. That's even better than the first one. Really? I haven't mm-hmm. seen the second My daughter one. loves Jack-Jack now. I w- just thinks he's funny. Yeah. He's great. I would get rid of... Uh, he's great. He's great. I would get rid of X-Men, too. I, th- I didn't think the X-Men movies were ever that great. They really weren't. Like, And I know everybody loves... Uh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Yeah, like he's good, but like he can't carry the movie himself. So okay. I'm out on that one. And see, X-Men's the hard part go. with X Men is if you get rid of X Men, you get rid of Deadpool, and Deadpool's like one of my favorite hero slash movies. But I would still take that because X Men is just awful. Uh, I I hate sweeping it through one, but I, it's the correct answer. I love all three of the other options, and I'm just not a big X Men guy. Yeah. It doesn't do anything. Never for have me. been. One's got to go. 
Cinco de Mayo food edition. Quesadillas, burrito, taco, or enchilada. Quesadilla, burrito, taco, enchilada. Which one's got to go? I'll start on this one. Quesadillas for me is the clear cut one that's got to go. All three of the other options have more to them, more op- flexibility within them. Quesadilla is just cheese and potentially some kind of meat. So, yeah, burrito, taco, enchilada. Isn't those three are, have got to stay. Technically, what a burrito is. Yeah, you no. got like beans Burrito, in there. You got beans in there. Can't you put Sometimes beans you in put a quesadilla? Rice in there. Can't you put rice in a quesadilla? No. No. I've never seen a quesadilla and you can with rice. Dip quesadillas and like guac and you can dip pico. literally any of these. I'm getting rid of the burrito here. Plain You're getting rid of a burrito? Yeah. It's the messiest one of all of these. What? Yeah. And it's I don't literally self-contained. Isn't the yeah, enchilada but would be messier as than soon a as you take burrito. one bite, the burrito's ruined. Isn't the enchilada messier because it's like doused in like sauce? Yeah, but you eat a mole sauce or yeah, you eat it with a fork. Clean. Tim getting rid of the you can enchilada do that with here. a burrito too. That's just, that's weird. Who eats a burrito with a fork? I mean, I wouldn't, but apparently a burrito that is self-contained and wrapped on itself is too messy. And for you know what? So. Sometimes people don't do a proper wrap job, and if you don't wrap the burrito, it falls apart. Man, you end up like Alex with a couple of kids. T-Bone, which one's got to go? Honestly, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I say the enchilada. I, I don't really like my, uh, whether it be, you know, these Mexican dishes, these Spanish dishes to be like just doused in sauce. Oh, that's the best. Like, I like a little bit of sauce, but like an enchilada is just like covered in it. And I'm not here for it. Can I'm, we I'm out on the enchilada. That? I'm officially a guac guy. Uh, Were you ever not a guac guy? No, I wasn't. I, I, I thought guac was I don't gross. Like guac. But my, my wife just made guacamole yesterday and I tried it. I'm like, damn, this is delicious. So had you I'm ever a, had guacamole? I have, but it was only on certain occasions and it just wasn't good. It was just plain and it didn't have a taste to it. Uh, but my wife just dominated the guac. So I'm in. I think guac is fantastic. Uh, well, now I do too. I, you I, don't because it's a vegetable. Yeah, guac, I, I avocado, like those things. What? One of the staples at our house. Like every week that I go to the grocery store, got to buy some new guac. That's me now too. It's a go-to. I'm a big guac guy. Uh, one's got to go summer activity edition. Fishing, amusement parks, camping, or baseball right. games. Oh, Right now, baseball games. <laughs> no, I'll find another right. baseball team to go to. the Cardinals you're going to go watch? I looked at Katie last night and said, man, we're going to be able to go to some cheap Cardinals games soon. Uh, man, if you wouldn't have put camping in there, it was the clear-cut fishing. But I would do fishing because at least it's a fun time. There's nothing fun about camping. Unless you're in an Apache Village RV. Then camping's incredible. Good. Hard disagree with you there, sir. Well, <laughs> there's a difference. Apache Village RV, I'm all in on that camping. Tent camping? You, you like glamping. I like glamping. And that's what Apache Village is. Have you ever been in one of those? Ooh, buddy. We're going out there later today. Yeah, check them out in Hazelwood. Don't go to... Ching-ching. I don't do tents, though. I'm out on tents. I, uh, I would get rid of amusement parks. I, I don't like roller coasters. You're like five. I know. But I don't like roller coasters, and it's awkward when I have to get on the little, like, your, uh, what your, do you call it, the, like, bumper cars now, and just uh, the little log ride that just goes around, and there's no splash. Does like, your tum-tum get hurt when you ride a roller coaster? No, I, just, I have a fear. I have a major fear of heights, so, like, I can't do roller coasters. Well, I do, well, that, but I do. So, like, I, I can't do, I don't want to do amusement parks, because the main thing at amusement park is mostly roller coasters, and, like, otherwise, it's just, like, I don't like the ride, so get amusement parks out. I actually agree with that. I, I like. I don't feel the same way, but I understand where you're coming from. Roller coaster uh, no, you know, I'm a guy that loves going to uh, Disney World for specifically the roller coasters. Get a man cold. Uh, one's got to go drinking. D r i n k i n apostrophe according to uh, the text line. Holiday edition. None Seltzer's, of the above. Seltzer's about to be on here. St. Patrick's Day, Cinco de Mayo, or Mardi Gras. Which one's got to go? Oh, like holiday that you oh, drink. I on. think this one's easy. I would go. Uh, I would definitely go St. Patrick's Day because that's more of like your Irish beers. Your uh, 
I'm drawing a blank on one of the names. But those darker Guinness, thank you. That was the one I was thinking You're of. You're welcome. Uh, those darker beers, I, I don't like those. So I, I would have to say it's St. Patrick's Day. What's the difference between Cinco de Mayo and what was the third one? Mardi Gras? Oh, okay. Never mind. I feel like there's a pretty large yeah, difference, a difference, but if there. you need me to explain it, no, no, I can't. no, no, there's a difference. I, I, for some reason, I thought it was another like Cinco de Mayo one. Uh, yeah, I think it would be St. Patty's Day because the other ones, I'm out on the dark beer. Nasty. No seltzers at St. Patty's Day. Yeah, so Cinco de Mayo is number one on this list. And the reason, I, I love, like, if I could only eat one food for the rest of my life, it would be Mexican food. If I could only have, like, especially going out socially, one type of liquor, it would be tequila. Um, I love a good Modelo. So, hey, man, like, you got an alcohol problem. You're, you're absolutely correct. Cinco de Mayo would be number one on my list. Bet you wish you took the day off, huh? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> by the way, it's coming up on the fast lane. <laughs> It'll be Danny Mack and Anthony Stalter. I'll just go ahead and say that. Um, I would get rid. Nailed it. So I'm actually surprised you're keeping Mardi Gras because the group of people is typically you larger. Know, for that's Mardi like at Gras. every one of these events. Though. I thought about that, but St. Patty's Day is too large of a group of people also. So like I'm yeah. out on that too. Yeah, I would get rid of St. Patrick's Day because the weather's a little better typically for Mardi Gras. Honestly, just get rid of holidays. <laughs> holidays no, that include like going they, out. No, no. I'm out on that. Stay in a house Last on a holiday. One, actor edition. I'm curious where you guys are going to go on I'm this. I'm probably not going to know three of the four. No, I think you'll know all these guys. Okay. I'm not familiar with his work. <laughs> George Clooney. I know him. Matt Damon. I know him. Denzel Washington. I know him. I don't know if I've seen a lot of his stuff, oh, but I know God. him. Oh, Jesus. Tom Hanks. This is oh, easy. Hanks is the best. This is easy. I'm going to let you guys say it first. Though. No, no. I, you go ahead. George Clooney. Really? Yeah. Oh, George I, Clooney I mean, I can think of like stuff. two or three George Clooney movies that are worth watching more than once. All of the others, I can watch their movies over and over and over and over and love them still. George Clooney's like one and done. I don't agree. Name 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 more than right, two I, movies that George a, Clooney has been. I have been. a moment of honesty. You don't know who George <laughs> no, Clooney no. is. I know who George Clooney is. He I had got someone him else confused in my with head. somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> I got him confused with uh, what's the guy that did the the good, the bad, and the ugly, like the old '60s Western movie. Um, he's John like, Wayne? No, he's like 90 Clint years Eastwood. old. Clint Eastwood. That's who you I thought. thought George <laughs> Clooney was Clint Eastwood. Good yeah. God, man! Yeah. Right. I mean, they're both men's men, I guess. Yeah, I, I would get rid of it. Like seriously, tell me multiple movies. I think Argo's fantastic. Um, Argo, Argo. You never seen Argo? I don't. I've seen Argo, but that's not. Oh no, that's. That's yeah, been He's not in Argo. I guess that's. Yeah, oh, he was, okay. So apparently, BK's not familiar Ocean's with his Ocean's Eleven, work. Ocean's Twelve, yes, Ocean Series in general. But is those fantastic. movies are also more than just George Clooney. It's Brad Pitt. It's Matt Damon. Well, yeah, I could say the same thing for any of these no guys. Way. There are Denzel Washington movies where he is the the sole star in it are incredible. The same can be said about Tom Hanks, and the same can be said about Matt Damon. I'm gonna write George Clooney. George Clooney, you have to have other people with him. Gravity yeah. was good. He wasn't the star of Gravity, though. No, wasn't that Sandra it. Bullock? <laughs> yeah. He's in it. He was like in it, and then he like Seriously, like the away. movies where he was the star in, like The American, which, yeah, good movie, but didn't want to watch it again. The Perfect Storm, didn't want to watch it again. I didn't like that movie. That All much. of the other movies are like, okay. Yeah, he was a good Batman. Was so he? Like, that was it. I mean, yeah, better yeah. than a couple of other Batman. Yeah, be honest. Good the answer is clearly George Clooney. Yeah, you were yeah, going to try and argue it. Advocate. It would have been Clint Eastwood too if he was an option. Oh, brother, where art thou? That's a really good movie. That that's probably one of the few that hold up where it was him. I mean, Matt Damon's catalog is fantastic. Denzel is one of my favorites, and Tom Hanks is arguably like, yeah. If you're looking at it in terms of like superstar actors, yeah, Tom Hanks. I, Tom Hanks might be the best of our generation, or at least you can't the highest it. regarded that is also in 
like hits yeah. that come out, like blockbuster films. Yeah. So. George Clooney's not any good. Plain and simple. Hey, we'll hit the rewind coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, I know it's been a rough week. The Cardinals aren't doing well. I've had a great week. You were off you yesterday. Were off. With you that took one. off on Thursday like I did yeah, last that week. That wasn't very fun. And things went poorly both days. Yeah, they <laughs> right? did. Each of us uh, ended up taking off. We appreciate you guys sticking with us. Uh, I know that it's not always the most fun to talk about a bad team, but we try to do it in the most entertaining way possible. I think the Cardinals are going to win three out of three this weekend against the Tigers. Well, I there think goes on, <laughs> sweep once again. I think on Monday morning, we're going to come in. The Cardinals will have did really well. They won their first game in an opening game of the series. Tonight, Montgomery's going to shove. He's going to give him a quality start. Oh and Wayno's returning on the mound tomorrow. They oh are not God. losing that game. And then Connor Thomas on Sunday. And then Sunday. on Sunday, whether it's Connor Thomas or Matthew Liberator or Steven Matz oh or Alex T-Bone and myself going out there trying to give our best effort, Cardinals are going to find a way to win that one. We're going to come in on Monday and we're going to say, hey, they're 13-22 and 22 with Chicago and Boston coming up. There's a chance they get a nine-game winning streak, and we're talking about a totally different team by the end of next week. Has anybody else noticed that every series that opens – BK goes on the air and says they're going to yes. win it this series and they're going to turn it around. Yeah, uh, Every series. I did not do that against LA. I said they would lose the first game of that series and they would find a way to beat Otani. What I didn't count on was that they would find the most heartbreaking way possible to basically beat Otani and then lose at the very end. The of road it. trip. We're going to start it off with the series win against Seattle and they're going to win seven out of ten. No, I said it, it, an Prior expectation should be winning seven Prior out of to ten. That, they're going to beat the Colorado Rockies. Like, and they, I guess they beat the Prior Colorado that, Rockies. They're going to beat the Phillies in the first round of the playoffs. Prior wow. to that, everybody else in Again, the National League is going to lose. So this weekend, three out of three, a clean sweep of the Detroit Tigers. Wayno back. Stupid. Cardinals going to make some big moves, I think, uh, later on this afternoon. It sounds like Juan Yepes is going to make Here his return. Kramer Robertson. Cannot Ooh. wait to watch the St. Louis Cardinals this weekend. Enjoy yourself tonight. Be safe. Be smart out there. Do not drink and drive, but enjoy Cinco de Mayo tonight. Enjoy Adam Wainwright on the mound tomorrow. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.